two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, we found out today that officially the NBA is coming back. Yep, the NBA is back, and I really like their plan. Now, this is all based on having the NBA players agree to this and owners give it the sign-off. It's not 100% official, but when Adrian Wojnarowski says the NBA is back, you've got a pretty good idea that the NBA is back. I really like their plan. I really like the way they're going to relaunch the 19-20 season. I actually like it better than the NHL's idea, and I really like the way the NHL is uh, going about it. I just think the NBA has a really well thought out plan and a really, uh, you can tell they put a lot of time into this. You can tell they put a lot of effort into coming up with this idea and putting it into action. If you're not aware, I could give you the details, but instead, here's the guy who's broken the story the entire time. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN has been all over this, as you'd expect from day one. Here he is with the details on the NBA's Launch plan. The league office has a proposal now that it is sharing with team owners. There is a vote set for tomorrow afternoon where the league's board of governors uh, will approve a 22-team return to play uh, in Orlando beginning on July 31st. 13 teams from the Western Conference, 9 from the East, and a potential play-in tournament uh, that would include the 8 and 9 seeds um, uh, in each conference, every team I'm told is going to play eight regular season games in Orlando. And then if there are team, if there is a ninth seed within four games of the eighth seed, they'll play essentially a single elimination tournament for the ninth seed, a double elimination tournament for the eighth seed to give them more an advantage to hold on to that lead. So, I, I really think this is a well-thought-out plan, Kleiner. Like, it, it gives them an opportunity to have more than just the 16 playoff teams involved. It gives them an opportunity for anybody who was in striking distance to have a shot at the playoffs, but also gives teams, as you heard Woj say, also give teams gives teams in the playoffs, specifically the number eight seed, where there could be, but not guaranteed to be, a play-in tournament. It gives that eight seed the advantage still in that they'd have to lose twice as opposed to the nine seed or, or whoever it would be in this play-in tournament having to lose just the one team. So it, it gives the regular season still a ton of importance they're still going to play regular season games and um it gives them an opportunity to hand out an nba championship i i i like what the nhl has done i'm not really all that critical of what the nhl has done but the nba going to one spot like orlando and having 22 teams all in the same area gives them even a little bit more flexibility to finish the season in in a really good way and and clatter for me they're using all of that flexibility yeah, and, and I, I like that it wasn't even so uniform as because they're doing the regular season, you don't have to go with the same amount of teams in the East as you do in the West. You can be a little bit flexible so that you don't have, like, the New York Knicks, if they were just going to go 13-13, 
uh, the, the way they have it in the, the West and do that over to the East, the New York Knicks would be in. And there's no reason why that the New York Knicks need to be anywhere close to a postseason of any type in the National Basketball Association. Uh, so I, I think that doing it this way is the most fair way so that you do figure out these playoff teams. I do think that having Zion Williamson in the race for the playoffs here was probably a bit of a factor in not just going with uh, eight and eight and just going with the playoffs. But I do like that you get an opportunity to get a bit of uh, a chance to shake the rust off if you're the Raptors and... Yeah, no, I, I like this idea a lot. I'm, I was really digging that World Cup format that uh, I believe it was the ringer floated out. I, I thought that was amazing. And what I'm, I'm seeing with all of these leagues is I kind of wish there was just like a parallel league beside them so that they could try so out you could do some both. of the, the fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. I just I want to see some of this fun stuff that, that people were suggesting. But as far as, you know, being fair and having a legitimate champion, uh, I, I think the NBA did a fantastic job with this. Yeah, and, and I think because the fact that they're going to um, finish off the the regular season, it's not going to be the same regular season as it was before, but the fact they're each going to play eight games gives them a little bit more of an opportunity to, you know, say that the, the, the 16 teams that are in the playoffs are the 16 teams that should be in the playoffs. And, totally. and that's not to say what the NHL is doing is bad because with the NHL situation, they've decided to go with two hub cities. And, and, and I understand that. I don't know if there's a spot because, because basketball is a little bit more of an accessible sport. And, and there are more like, you just need a gym, right? There's there's a whole lot less maintenance that goes into practice facilities right. in the NBA than you'd need in the NHL. I don't know if the NHL could ever have realistically put 22 or 24 teams in one spot. I think just based on logistics, hockey and their restart needs to be in two separate spots. So as yeah. a result, the NBA has a little bit more flexibility in the way they go about things. And, and you know, I, I like the fact that they are still going to be able to get regular season games in. Having two hub cities in the NHL, I don't think you could do that. I don't think you could have. It would have been a whole lot more difficult for the NHL to finish their regular season than the NBA. So I, I appreciate that, that Adam Silver and the, NHL, and the NBA are, are using all of the flexibility available to them here to make sure they can finish their season and start the playoffs. In, in a meaningful way. And that's not to say I think the NHL is doing it poorly because I am the NHL is using all of their flexibility that is available mm -hmm. to them. I just believe that there's more flexibility in the NBA. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with that. And also with the NBA, teams are half the size, right? Like there, there's only also a good point. So to have team. to have 22 so. teams in one in one spot is far less of right. an undertaking than it, they're talking about 50 people per team in the NHL. Yeah. You're talking about what half that when it comes to all personnel in the NBA somewhere around that range. Right. Yeah, players could bring, like, family and kids and still maybe not make it to 50 per team. So, yeah, the, it's just – it's a lot easier to house every team in the in the NBA in one spot than from the NHL. They're both they're both a little different in, in the way they've gone about this, but I both think – I think that both got it right. Uh, I think the NHL, it would have been – maybe it would have been better to be able to finish out the regular season, but because you're in two different hubs, you basically have to completely redo the regular season schedule – and then again, and it's it could become a factor in the NBA's plan, and it's kind of the only flaw I see. Uh, Phoenix is the the 13 team, the, the 13 seed. Uh, they they may not have a ton to play for, but I mean, with with a play-in tournament, who knows, right? So it, it's going to be 
going to be interesting to see the teams that like don't really have a shot but are just kind of there to to see how they handle things but overall i i think the nba nailed this one and just because it's different than the nhl doesn't make either of them right or wrong i think they both did very yeah. very well uh and, and we're going to be uh talking with the guests in a little bit whole lot better than what major league baseball is doing right now so what are you talking about how right dare now. you <laughs> Yeah, sorry. All, all the for... all that Major League Baseball is doing right now is for the good of the game. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Pull your head yeah, out. Sorry. Of... <laughs> Just ridiculous. And, and, and you're right. We are going to Shai Davidi of Sportsnet's going to join us here at the bottom of the hour, two thirty. Get his thoughts on the uh, on the, the absolute mess that the NBA is right now. Um, the interesting thing, and, and you brought it up, is the fact that that basketball is is not going to have a balanced conference look. Only nine teams in one conference and thirteen teams in the other conference. Uh, so you got the sixteen teams that are going to uh, that are already in the playoffs, and then six teams: New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, Phoenix, which are the uh, additional teams in the Western Conference, and then just the one additional team in the Eastern Conference, uh, Washington. Uh, so it's it's really interesting to see the fact that you've got. You've got all these extra teams in, you know, talking about five extra teams in the West and just one extra team in the East, which is, is I, I think it, w- it would be counterintuitive to the way that you would draw this up on paper, but I actually think it makes a ton of sense because you're right. If you were to balance it and make it so it looks like, the, the and you're talking about 11 teams per conference, than something ridiculous like the New York Knicks being in competition for a playoff spot, which was not the case. So this, by doing this, makes the integrity of the postseason that much higher, which I which I really, really like. Here's a little bit more from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski on why 13 teams in the West involved and just nine teams in the East. The league essentially went with teams that were within six games in the standings of the eighth seed. Five of those teams were in the West. New Orleans, Portland, Phoenix, Sacramento, and the San Antonio Spurs. And then in the East, only the Washington Wizards. And now you have you know, a tournament environment, potentially, where Zion Williamson and New Orleans could get into the postseason. Portland with Damian Lillard uh, and C.J. McCollum. And perhaps a healthy Yusuf Nurkic, Zach Collins. Those teams will come back stronger. And so, you know, and as one owner told me that they really believe that the 22-team format was ultimately the most compelling. Certainly it was more financially rewarding for teams and players than only bringing back the 16 teams. But the ability here for teams to play themselves into the postseason uh, was a big part of this. That again, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski on ESPN today as to why a little bit of a unbalanced look in terms of who's going to be in this 22-team um, restart for the NBA. Again, you're talking about a significant amount of additional teams, five additional teams in the West, and just the one additional team in the East. Somebody texts in and says, how do you feel about the NBA cooking the schedule to get Zion in? And that's something that you just heard Woj talk about right there. I mean, 
I don't I don't have a problem with it because I I don't necessarily see it as them cooking the schedule to to make sure that they do get one of their you know brightest and most popular stars in. I look at it as saying, okay, what teams actually had some legitimate feel that they had playoff contention on their mind and what teams should we allow to play eight additional regular season games it wouldn't make sense for some of these other teams in the eastern conference to play additional games right i mean you go take a look at the east yeah and i mean the, the charlotte hornets are like the, the, the hornets are seven games back of a playoff spot you know, yeah. so for Charlotte or Chicago or New York, who are all seven, eight, and and in the case of the Knicks, nine and a half games back of a playoff spot, they they didn't have legitimate playoff hopes, so that they didn't need to be involved. Whereas Washington, who are five and a half games back, you're like, okay, that 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 you can you can see how that makes sense, and and see why giving them the opportunity, even though it's going to be an uphill battle, is probably fair. Whereas in the West, you've got Portland and New Orleans and Sacramento all only three and a half games back, and San Antonio is only four games back. So so these teams probably, and, and yes, you're, you're talking about Phoenix who's six back, and they've got the largest uphill battle, but all of those teams, all five of those teams, have far more of a legitimate case to make about being in contention and still playing regular season games as opposed to the you know the the 10 11 and 12 seeds in the eastern conference yeah and i'm sure that there would have been uh at least a, a bit of um a bit of thought given from the nba because if you do just go 13 and 13 on either side and try to make it work that way then you do have some pretty major markets in there like chicago new york and detroit that, that you can bring in from the nba and you got the charlotte hornets who are owned by michael jordan who from a, a sports perspective has been the star of the, the pandemic so far with the, the the last dance documentary so i'm sure there was a temptation from the nba to bring some of these other teams in and just try to make it work with 26 teams but from a fairness standpoint i i think they nailed it and it uh, I I'm in a basketball group chat, and it's been mentioned a couple times that this is a format just to get Zion in. Zion might have made it in anyway. If this thing doesn't shut down, uh, that that Pelicans team was starting to figure things out with Zion Williamson coming back from an injury. So the more we get to see of him, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But I I, I do think that they have a fair setup here. If you include some of those lesser teams in the East, it just it just would have been doing this just to do it. And from the NBA's perspective, still mm -hmm. getting a few regular season games in, I'm sure they're not doing those for free. So I, I'm guessing that this makes a whole lot of sense and probably a few dollars as well. People will watch. That's going to get crazy ratings oh, it's gonna be great. south of the border, oh. um, especially because it doesn't seem like they're going to be going up against baseball. <laughs> Stupid baseball. More on that later. Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Wednesday. Uh, you've got Peter Klein. You've got Logan Gordon and yours truly, Pat Steinberg. Hopefully your Wednesday is going along nicely. Got a nice little breeze on a sunny Wednesday day in Calgary. Uh, it's oh. gorgeous outside again. Summer is starting to knock on the door. I love it. Um, Hopefully your Wednesday is going along very well. We're back on Instagram Live today, so uh, come pop in on IG Live uh, and come take a look at Peter Klein's beautiful haircut. Uh, the Beatles, monkeys, 1960s look is no longer there. He now looks 
far more modern. Uh, Peter Klein yeah. is freshly shorn uh, now that uh, you're able to get your hair cut again. Uh, Steinberg1984 is where we do the show on Instagram Live every day, so come on through. Um, follow along if you want to uh, watch part of the show. As always, on your AM dial 960, sportsnet.ca slash 960. On your smart speaker at home, just say, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960, the fan, and always on the Radio Player Canada app. So many ways, even in a pandemic, to uh, listen and now watch the program, uh, Pinder and Steinberg. Um, you know, it's it, we talk about the NBA, and, and it's different than the NHL, but I still, like, I, I take a look at what the NHL has done, and... I still believe that the way that they're going about their restart and having 24 teams and two hub cities and all that type of stuff, I still believe that there's merit to what the NHL is doing. And, and as we talked about, there's less flexibility in the NHL, but that doesn't mean that what they're doing and, and the way that they're deciding to restart is wrong. You know, I know there is some, there's some, uh, I guess some objection to having teams like uh, Chicago and Montreal be a part of this thing and be a part of a best of five plan. But I think, again, you need to try to do something so that you alleviate any concerns of the 16 teams in the playoffs didn't belong in the playoffs, right? And so the NBA has more flexibility and more ability to do regular season games than the NHL does. So what the NHL is doing is they're doing this best of five play in so that there are actual on ice things that can decide the 16 and any team much like the NBA is doing with Phoenix and San Antonio and teams in the Western conference that have a shot. The NHL saying, okay, we want to, if you're Minnesota or if you're Winnipeg or if you're the New York Rangers and, and, you believe that you know you had a real shot down the stretch and you were trending in the direction to be a playoff team well here's your opportunity you've now got uh, a chance to upset a higher seated team look i, I don't think montreal is going to beat pittsburgh i don't um i think if, if pittsburgh loses that series they didn't deserve to win the stanley cup like you should beat montreal i don't care that Carey price is the goalie but the fact of the matter is it gives any team that thought that they had legitimate playoff aspirations the opportunity to control that destiny on the ice and have an opportunity to play their way in i don't mind that at all even though it's you know even even though it's it's somewhat of a um there's there's at least two teams that you say how do they really belong in this conversation i i get it when it's all said and done yeah and again part of this too is a math equation like you do have to have a tournament line up and as we're we're talking about we're worried about um, trying to get like some of the rust knocked off. If you just went with 11 on each side, which probably like, I, I think Montreal and Chicago would be the only ones I would cut out of this. Florida went into the pandemic, only three points out of a playoff spot. Um, and Arizona was four points out of a playoff spot. Th those teams should be included in whatever we're doing to, to bring the sport back. I, I, I just, you can't just have 11 going into it. Like this one was more, I think let's make the math work. And it, I'm sure part of it was these are a couple marquee franchises, so maybe that helps a little bit. But I also think you have to get the math to line up, and you can't just have teams having buys or anything like that. So I I think it made sense for, for the NHL to include these teams. Yeah, and, I mean, again, don't lose. I just don't know what you do if you don't. Right, and, yeah, don't lose to bad teams. 
Well, I mean, I guess I guess what you could do if I quickly do the math in my head, you could add more teams with you could do you could do the top five teams get buys in each conference, and then do the play in the other one for the, I, I guess that's what you could do. Um, I think I the math would work out in that regard. I, I think. And then um, you just have two of the teams that played in the the uh, like top five tournament play each other again in a postseason or something like that like it's yeah i i guess that's how you could make yeah. it work but this this makes the most sense math wise because it goes it's easy to go from 24 to 16 and boom you're into the playoffs and it's yeah. a little easier to do that than go from 22 to 16 and boom you're in the playoffs the math isn't as easy to do and and look if, if you're Edmonton or if you're Pittsburgh and you lose to Chicago or Montreal respectively, that's as much on you as it is on, on the NHL. In fact, it's probably more on you than it is on the NHL's plan to restart here. Um, there was a reason that the Edmonton Oilers had a significant lead on the Chicago Blackhawks, um, an 11-point edge. Well, it's because the Oilers were a better team. And if you're Pittsburgh and you've got 86 points and Montreal's got 71, well, you had a 15-point lead. And I know that best-of-five series can be unpredictable, but you should still be able to beat a team that you had an 11- or a 15-point edge on in the regular season. And I don't think I'm completely off-base in saying that. Now, I, I, I'm not a fan of either the Penguins nor the Oilers, so I, I can't put myself necessarily in the shoes of a uh, a team that, you know, I can't put myself in the shoes of um, uh, somebody who cheers for those teams. But and I, I would assume that maybe there's a little bit more consternation if you're an Oilers or a, a Penguins fan in that regard, but a little bit more from the outside, just don't lose is, is yeah. my, uh, my my biggest takeaway from the whole thing. Right, yeah, the Tampa Bay Lightning weren't going calling for a massive reform of the the NHL playoffs last year just because they were upset in the first round. If you don't want to get upset in the first round, don't get upset in the first round. Like just win. And I'm not saying that Tampa Bay didn't try to win, but look, if if you are the team that you think you are, beat Chicago or uh or Montreal in 5 or in 3. Feel free to do it in in 3. Like I just I don't really have time for that argument. I understand playoff odds were kind of long for Chicago. They were still only six points out of a playoff spot. So I, I could they have made a run? Absolutely. Were they going to? Probably not. They sold a bunch of stuff off at the, the trade deadline. But again, just to make it all work, I, I have no problem with, with what the NHL did. And when we're saying we're not fans of either Edmonton or Pittsburgh, I think if, if we uh, substitute Edmonton and Calgary in this whole equation, I don't think we're having a much different conversation about the the Flames. I don't think that we're complaining that they didn't get into this top four play-in group. I think we're saying, okay, beat these guys. And maybe that that's just looking at it because we're not in that situation. But I can't imagine that we'd be having much issue from a, a Flames perspective if that were the case. Well, and in the end, I mean, we all. I think it's fair to say that as much as there's this argument out there that says that well, whoever comes out of that best of five playing round is going to have an advantage over you know one of those top four teams: St. Louis, Boston, Tampa, whatever. You could say that, and and that might be true. We we don't know. The proof is yet to be in the pudding. We got to watch that play out. But <laughs> the one thing that I know for sure, I'd still rather be St. Louis or Tampa Bay or Boston right now and not have to play in a best of five just to get into the playoffs. I'd, I'd much rather be one of those top four teams and. 
in the eventuality that we're talking about best of sevens in the first and second rounds, then I still think that those teams have the advantage. You know, a best of five, a little bit of a different scenario. Like if, if let's just say that Calgary upsets, Calgary upsets, Calgary beats Winnipeg, wouldn't be an upset. Calgary's the higher seeded team by point zero zero one of a percentage point. But let's just say that Calgary beats Winnipeg in the best of five playing and goes to five games, a hard-fought series, and now, boom, they're playing St. Louis in round number one of the playoffs. If that's a best of five, I, I think Calgary's got a little bit more of a leg up than they would in a best of seven. In a best of seven, I think the Blues are still significantly better and, and probably uh, have have the leg up and, and the big-time advantage. In a best of five, well, if the Blues get caught napping in game one now all of a sudden calgary's got far more of a foot to the floor in a best of five than a best of seven it's it's you know it's only two games yet it's such a it, it's it's such a significant difference in, in how a series plays out and just take a look at at the divisional rounds in baseball and how different they are than the championship series right so uh, the 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 winner of the play-in is going to have an advantage I think if the first round's best of five, but if it's best of seven, I think that advantage gets cut off at the knees, and you're talking about uh, a far more even playing field where the the higher seeded team still still has the advantage. Yeah, and in a best of seven, if you're the higher seeded team, you still you have a chance to I don't want to say waste one, but you have a chance to kind of get your footing under you game one. Like okay, we're we're used to us now. Let's go. And then you still have a couple games to play with. You lose that one game one to the lower seeded team. All of a sudden, okay, well, can't like you lose again. Our backs are against the wall, right? So it, it does present a, a few changes and or uh, challenges. And from an NHL perspective, we were talking about trying to get games in a, as quickly as possible. I do wonder if they lean to the, the best of five in at least the first round just to get a few more games right. in or a, a few more series in quickly. So. We'll we'll see how that one plays out. I would prefer best of seven the whole way, just because if we're still trying to to keep the integrity of a Stanley Cup, you, you kind of want it to look the same as every other series has before. Uh, a couple of texts before we wrap the segment. Will the NBA playoffs be conference like years past? Yep, and and they'll they'll yeah. do the actual postseason the way that uh, the postseason has been run uh, in every other year. Uh, Mike writes: West has been the superior conference in the NBA for decades now. Still, really awkward looking format though. Uh, and this one, um, I'm rooting for Chicago, not just because it's against the Oilers, but also after the great message Jonathan Taves put out there. That was uh, on Monday, I believe, when uh, John. Jonathan yeah. Taves put his message out there, and, and it was a pretty powerful one. Uh, happy Wednesday. It's Pender and Steinberg. He's Peter Klein. My name is Pat Steinberg. Around the corner, how come baseball can't figure it out? NBA on track. NHL on track. Major League Baseball complete and utter train wreck. Why? We'll find out next. Pender and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. News today that the NBA is on track to resume their season on July 31st or thereabouts. The NHL continues to plan for their restart. And caught in the ether and in a completely gray area right now is Major League Baseball as they try to start their season. Pessimism levels are high. The mistrust between the Players Association and the league seems high. 
and right now it's it's hard to get a handle on where exactly we are on Major League Baseball's return to play. Welcome back to the program. Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you. And to uh, try to sort through the mud, we welcome in Major League Baseball insider Sportsnet's Shai Davidi joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Shai, appreciate you doing this as always. The whole thing is convoluted right now, and, and you know you see prominent insiders coming out with news all the time. It's a little difficult to to sort through, I think. Can you give us a a little bit of a Reader's Digest on where things are right now with the uh, Players Association and the league? Well, we can simplify it as this. You know, both sides want to have a season. Both sides have made progress and have a rough understanding of what a protocol would roughly look like in terms of health needs. And basically, they're just fighting about money. You know, the the owners want the players to play for less. Uh, The players, understandably, want Major League Baseball to abide by the agreement that they reached at the end of March, which stipulated that players would receive uh, a prorated share of their 2020 salaries for each game that they played this year. Um, And the sides have gone back and forth. The players earlier this week uh, submitted a proposal for a 114-game season at their uh, full-prorated uh, full share uh, of what they would have earned. Uh, and that is that differed from the owner's initial proposal of an 82-game season, uh, heavily discounted. And, uh, you know, at this point, the, the owners are, are mulling about uh, implementing uh, a 50-game, something around a 50-game season, um, and uh, both sides are sort of stuck. And the way that I've described it to people is uh, essentially this is a roller coaster ride. Uh, just like any collective bargaining agreement negotiation, there's ups, there's, there's downs. Uh, and I think ultimately uh, logic will prevail and they'll, they'll reach a deal. But you know, right now uh, they've got some time to work with and each side seems intent on seeing if they can get the other to bend. The the reported pessimism level seems high, but yours doesn't seem as high as, as it's kind of suggested it is right now. You seem more optimistic that they can figure this out, and I'm, you know more than we do, so I, I, I'm just curious. How, why is that? Where, where does the optimism come from in your mind? It's funny. I don't necessarily think I'm up, I'm up optimistic. Uh, and a lot of people I talk to, uh, in fact, they're just texting with someone who's deeply pessimistic. Uh, but I just look at this and I cannot see how either side ultimately lets this fall through the cracks. If you're an owner, are you really going to do this to your business at this point in time? Even if you have to take losses now, what are you doing to your franchise values? What are you doing to your earning power in the coming decade? If you blow up this season, given everything that's happening in society at large right now, uh, to extract and minimize some losses, I mean that's that's ridiculously short-term thinking. Uh, and on the player side, uh, you know I think there'll eventually be a recognition that they do have to bend a little bit, uh, just because you know these are wild circumstances, um, and you're not ultimately going to punt an entire season. Uh, in your career, in your very limited career, because mm-hmm. that's money you're never going to earn back, and it's going to cost you in, in the years to come as well. So uh, I think for those reasons that you can ultimately, that there's a middle ground to be found. And uh, what I've also found really interesting is that uh, each stop along the way, both sides have done a really, uh, a really nice negotiating job in terms of ensuring that there's no 
there, there's there's something for the other side to play. They both they haven't hemmed themselves in. They've left room for a middle ground. Uh, and to me, that's why I, I I think that this is largely the roller coaster ride that comes with any sort of uh, labor ownership agreements. Um. When when we talk about the kind of the, the the word mistrust has been thrown around a lot when it comes to the union and the owners, this this goes back well beyond the start of the worldwide pandemic. Can you give us a little bit of a background on as as you put on Twitter a few days ago, kind of the the tired labor story of Major League Baseball? Can you give us a background as to why the two sides seem to not have a lot of trust for one another right now? Well, I mean, I think this is the kind of question is like, how far do you want to go back? I mean, historically, uh, the owners have uh, in baseball, just as they have in other sports, completely exploited players and took advantage of their ignorance of uh, other salaries, uh, labor practices, uh, just revenues within the game, how much how much money owners were quite, quite frankly, making off them. Uh, and that sort of changed with the advent of the players union uh, and the owners have fought that players' union at every step along the way. It's the one union that hasn't been broken by its sports league. It's the one union that has managed to avoid uh, a salary cap, which all the other sports leagues have uh, have forced their players into. And you know the that that's sort of like the broader picture. And then more recently, you know, there had a, actually there was a period where the labor relationship between the sides was much better uh, between players and owners. Uh, you think about the way they work together throughout the steroid crisis, um, you know, that they, they really made a lot of progress there. But the last collective bargaining agreement, uh, o- owners, owners probably got the play- much better of the players in that one. Uh, a lot of players have since been felt that they've been getting screwed by clubs at every step in turn as, as clubs have become better at manipulating uh, collective bargaining agreements to minimize salaries. Uh, and that had set up this level of mistrust that currently exists right now. And why a lot of people expect the next collective bargaining agreement, to, uh, the current, current deal expires at the end of 21 season, uh, to be a, a very, very difficult fight. With Sportsnet's Shai Davidi, our Major League Baseball insider on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon, Pete. Uh, Shy, we've seen the NHL and NBA kind of have a, a very kumbaya relationship and really it, it seems fairly effective in getting their seasons back up and running. Obviously, baseball a bit of a different situation because they have to start and to finish their season. But do you think with all the, the negative press that there could be some long-term damages to, to baseball's fan base because of this? Well, it, it, look, if they don't have a meaning, if they don't come back and have a meaningful season, there, there absolutely will be long long-term damage. I, I think if, you know, they get back to play and they reach in their, they, you know, they reach an agreement, they, they do their usual, uh, they do the usual stick, stick, wait for a deadline, get to the deadline and then, and then save the season. I think people will by and large forget that once the games begin. But I think right now to, to sit this out and to, to blow up a season over, over money at this point in time, uh, I mean, would be so obscenely tone deaf that you know both sides would deserve the the revenue losses that will come in the years to come, in the in the years ahead if if that scenario plays out. So um, you know I think that 
you know, baseball has been in a weird, a bit of a weird spot the past few years. You know, there's an acknowledgement within the game that they're, they're not engaging the younger generation the way they need to be. They need to make some changes. They need to adapt uh, to, to the way to, to a new group of fans and a new generation that's experiencing the game in different ways. And if, if they don't make it back onto the field, uh, amid a pandemic, uh, I mean, that would just be, it would be so monumentally stupid uh, that I can't believe businessmen who are billionaires would allow it to happen. Uh, as far as the, the team that you cover is concerned, the Jays are in a, a unique spot playing in another country than everyone else. Uh, do you know if there have been many discussions about where the, the Blue Jays' main spot might be? Yeah, there have been a, a ton on them. And, you know, the, the way things are sitting right now, the, the most simple way to do uh, is that as long as the border, if the current border restrictions are in place, uh, you know, their home stadium will be Dunedin for this year in all likelihood. And if uh, something changes along the border, then, then, then certainly they'll be in a position to react and adapt to that. But uh, as things stand right now, you know, the, you can't bring players in, force them to quarantine for 14 days and have each team that's coming in be able to quarantine. Uh, and, you know, technically they wouldn't be even able to enter anyways. And with the current restrictions in place in Ontario, they wouldn't be able to, to gather in the numbers necessary at the, at the dome anyways. So, um, you know, as right now the way things are situated – uh, the Blue Jays are going to need to play in all likelihood in Dunedin, uh, but they are planning for all scenarios. And, you know, their preference obviously is to have some games at home in Toronto, even without fans. I just think uh, they believe it's important to have some sort of presence in the community, actual presence. Uh, but if that's not going to be possible, then, you know, they're going to be prepared for that scenario. With baseball, obviously, with, with the, some of the proposals that we've seen, they're going to do their best to, to limit travel as much as possible with uh, expanded division format and things of that nature. But uh, do you think that the hub city is just a complete non-starter? Because while they're limiting travel, it's still not none. And that seems like it'd be tricky to pull off right now. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, you know, I think the difference for the hub city, like, you know, you know NHL, NBA, you're talking about a couple months. Right. Essentially, you're, you just have to get a right. playoffs done, whereas you're, you're for baseball, it's a full season. And I think the, the fact that they're at the beginning, uh, it has been a complicating factor throughout this, because from a revenue standpoint, you know, none of the money has been made yet by either side. While, you know, in the NHL, you know, players have gotten a lot of their salary. NBA, a lot of the guys have gotten their salary. The teams have made a lot of the revenue. There's still a big uh, revenue pie out there with playoffs that uh, both sides are eager eager to access, but you know th they've uh, you know they've got some money in the bank. Uh, baseball's got nothing in the bank essentially, uh, and for both uh, both the players have been, have received a, a limited stipend for a couple months. Uh, you know there there are some issues there that they they're going to have to figure out. You know they're uh, you know those payments that will cover the first two months of the season. We're into month three, uh, the, the and you know, the, the money's running out for everybody. So uh, they need a plan. They need to get that together quickly. Uh, and it's a bit more complicated for them. And the hub city was just not something that I think players were willing to entertain because of the amount of sacrifices they'd have to make. Uh, last one from me. Uh, and, and it's an actual real life baseball question. Kind of. Um, if the, the season still have does go back in, <laughs> well, I have one. Um, if the, uh, if the season does come back in an abbreviated form, does that mean Nate Pearson is a lock to make the roster now? Please say yes. 
Yeah, I mean, like, if the Blue Jays want to get him meaningful innings, the major leagues are going to be the only place he's going to be able to get them. You know, the, I mean, there's talk of uh, of uh, some sort of shadow league where, you know, replace replacement players, AAA types uh, who could come up and fill the gaps in case of an injury uh, would stay uh, would stay ready, but you know that's not a place where you're going to burn Nate Pearson's innings. You know, at this point, you know the Blue Jays w- wanted to get him into the you know 130, 140, maybe 150 inning range uh, as they continue to build him up. And the only place that's going to happen is in the big leagues. So uh, he absolutely, uh, at this point, breaks camp with the team. You know how they use him. Uh, is is uncertain. I, I had one person suggest to me that the club could go with a, a six-man rotation out of the gate, with Nate Pearson being part of it. Uh, you know, maybe that he's piggybacked with some with an, with another starter who they're trying to watch innings with. Uh, there are just a number of scenarios that are in play. Uh, but you know, at this point, uh, barring an injury or barring some type of surprise, you know, Nate Pearson has to be on this team when the cl- when the club breaks camp. Chatting with Shine Avidi here on Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pat? Uh, our Major League Baseball insider from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. And, and Shy, just two quick ones before we let you go. Number one, uh, that's on draft prep for a very unique Major League Baseball draft. Can you give us a, a little bit of an update as to where the Jays are as they get set for a five-round 2020 draft? Yeah, super weird draft for them, a uh, number of reasons. Uh, you know, obviously the shortened draft is a factor. Uh, the Not having a spring season to scout is a factor. Uh, there were a number of uh, restrictions early, early on during the pandemic that impacted things. But, uh, you know, the Blue Jays have the number five pick. And, you know, they're in a leveraged spot in the draft. They've got a big opportunity uh, ahead of them. And, you know, they're looking at uh, a handful of college arms, and there's uh, one high school outfielder uh, that they're consistently tied to uh, named, uh, named Zach Veen. The guy's got a chance to play center field and be a, a toolsy type of player. Uh, but he's a, he's a high schooler as opposed to a, a collegian. They carry more risk. And this is an interesting draft for the Blue Jays uh, beyond some of the, the external factors because uh, it's also going to be their first draft under a new scouting director in Shane Farrell. Their old scouting director, uh, Steve Sanders, went to the Pittsburgh Pirates as uh, their assistant general manager there. And, uh, you know, this is uh, whether he moves the club in, whether Shane Farrell moves the club in another direction or he maintains sort of their approach we've seen in the past few years. Uh, that that's a bit of an unknown right now. So uh, a lot of intrigue for the Blue Jays in this draft and uh, and absolutely a pivotal one because if everything goes to plan, uh, the way that the organization sees it, the way that their young players are trending, uh, this should be the last time for a, a long while that they're drafting this high. And finally, the one of the kind of underlying stories throughout all of this has been the the fate of minor league players in different organizations you've done some reporting on that and and uh where the blue jays stand with their uh some of their minor league players under contract can you update us there sure uh well the, there had been an agreement for for teams they were all going to offer uh or give their minor league players a 400 dollar a week stipend 
through May 31st, and obviously that expired over the weekend. Uh, and uh, some teams uh, committed to, to pay their players throughout the rest of the season. Uh, Oakland A's notably told their players that that was it. They, uh, they weren't committing any more uh, money to them or offering their, those players any more support. Uh, the Blue Jays were among a handful of teams to extend the support through July with uh, with a promise that they'll, the next steps would be reassessed at month's end. Uh, tied into that, uh, player, a number of players were released around the big leagues, uh, which is not atypical for this time of year, just ahead of the draft as, you know, some, some guys who were just not going to be a part of the future are cleared out to make way for incoming players uh, arriving via the draft. Uh, and the Blue Jays released 29 of those players as well. Okay. Thank you, Shy. Appreciate the time this afternoon. Know you got a roll, but thank you for the insight. We'll talk again soon. Anytime, guys. My pleasure, and hopefully happier discussions the next time uh, we're on together. 100%. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Shy. Take care. That's Shai Davidi, our uh, Sportsnet Major League Baseball insider, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Barcast Hotline. Working hard to reopen soon for sit-down drinks and dining. Atlas Pizza is still open for pickup or delivery by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. I mean, of course, Kleiner, the, the Oakland A's didn't pay their minor leaguers haven't you seen Moneyball? they don't they don't have money for soda that's <laughs> of course they, they, they wouldn't have the money to do. i say that in jest um a yeah. apparently the the soda part of the movie Moneyball completely and utterly fabricated just for hollywood purposes a and b they still have an owner worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars Right, yeah, and we're seeing that with the uh, the Washington Nationals and the, the L.A. Dodgers, whose owners are worth uh, more than $1 billion. So it's a little frustrating, for sure. Um, I, do, I do think at some point it's like just asking these guys to throw out millions of dollars every month can get a, a bit. Like, I, I, I get not wanting to do that if you're a billionaire, but for the time being... Come on, guys. Like when David Price and Major League Baseball players are stepping up saying, oh, we got you guys. We got you. We'll, we'll pay you. It, it's tough to feel anything but like really, really crappy about uh, owners doing that. Yeah. Well, Blue Jays minor league players uh, will continue to be paid their stipend until the end of the month. We found that out. Uh, thanks to Shai Davidi for joining us and getting us the latest on Major League Baseball. It sure doesn't feel like um, it sure doesn't feel like the optimism winds are at their highest right now. But nope. I, I, I do agree. I do agree with Shai when he says that you just can't see how a players' union and a group of owners would torpedo their sport to such a degree and not get back at this time in the world uh to resume the sport i and and as much as things look bleak right now i tend to agree i can't imagine that they would completely sewer their sport like that um and and i think everybody involved if they were to take a step back would be unanimous in their agreement that by not fixing this and figuring this out and by not being able to play specifically by sometime in July or early August, is just going to do more financial damage to everyone than taking some financial sacrifices for one year. So I, I think at some point everybody is, is going to 
not only come to that realization, which I'm sure most people are already at, but also admit that realization and go forward based on that. Right. And I, I tend to agree with you. I will just counter that by saying it's happened before. Like we, we've seen le- the, the NHL just missed a season be- because uh, of labor unrest and Major League Baseball just stopped in the middle of one be- because of labor unrest. The, the NBA has had a couple of uh, abbreviated seasons because of this. It, it wouldn't be it would be dumb for sure, but it wouldn't be unprecedented. We, we have seen money become an issue several times before in, in other sports leagues uh, to the, the tune of a lost season in the NHL and a uh, canceled one midway through in Major League Baseball. I'm with you. I, I think there's no way they could be this stupid, but they're looking this stupid right now, and at some point you just kind of got to believe what they're telling you. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, I'll, uh, I've got my results back from my covid test um so i know i know my results um how's that for a tease (laughs) uh pinder and steiner next next. uh (laughs) is is radio host pat going to die story at 255 uh it's next on pinder and steinberg uh we just sportsnet 960 the fan Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960, the fan. So, Mr. Klein, I got a uh, voicemail today. I was uh, asleep at the Sorry time. Um no, oh. it wasn't one of your uh it wasn't one of your drunk <laughs> voicemails where you're Why aren't you talking to me? I miss you. Pat, where are you? I miss you. That's uh, uh, typical Friday uh, or Saturday from Klein and then and then the unsolicited texts start coming. Then the pictures start okay. coming. Yeah, it's Friday and Saturday in uh, Klein and I's relationship. Um no, I got a voicemail today from uh, Alberta Health Services. Uh, I was asleep at the time, uh, so about like 8.30 they called me. Um, and you're damn right I'm sleeping in the midst of a pandemic at 8.30. I have no reason to be up at that time. Um, I don't have – I'm barely up at that time in non-pandemic, let alone during a pandemic. Right. Anywho, um, so I uh, got the got the call. I uh, listened in, and um, they had told me when I did my COVID nineteen test on Monday evening. They told me two to three days for turnaround for the test. Turns out it was about a day and a half. Um, and on top of that, uh, they told me if you get an automated message, good, you're negative. If you get a phone call from a human being uh it means that you've tested positive so when i saw it i'm like i sure hope that this is uh, an automated uh, voicemail and it was an automated voicemail they said that i had tested negative for covid19 um it's just i i I say it because i i wasn't worried like i I was 99.9 percent certain that i was going to test negative for it but until you hear it you want to hear it but on top of that it's just another uh i just wanted to take this time with a short segment another tip of the hat to alberta health services and just how efficient and top of the line they've been throughout all of this um 
they they give you you know they kind of do the the Dell computers thing where they um, under promise and over deliver in that they tell you it's going to be longer and then you get your uh, you get your test results way quicker than you thought. They told me two to three days. Turns out being just over a day that uh, it ended up coming back in. And just from all of that, for somebody who is asymptomatic, did not have any symptoms, and and the Alberta government is. Um, prompting, encouraging people to get tested even if they don't have symptoms. Um, you go in, you drive through, you get the swab. It takes less than five minutes from drive in to drive out. The test itself takes less than five seconds. It's really not all that uncomfortable at all. It's just in the back of the mouth. They're no longer going up your nose. Um, and and then to get the test result back uh, with an automated call just over a day later saying that uh, you've tested negative. Like, it, it, it's something that I would encourage you to do. Uh, the, the Alberta government is wanting more data more asymptomatic data, and it, it takes no time at all. In fact, they've got where I did it was at the Richmond um, was at the Richmond uh, testing center on Seventeenth Avenue um, and Richmond Road. The, that's now open for drop-in, so you don't even need to do the online assessment. You can now do it through drop-in. I just encourage you to do it. It's easy. It is a positive experience. It's a friendly experience. Uh, they're ready for you. The nurses are awesome. I just, I, I really do encourage you to do it. Help the Alberta government out with the with the data and uh, give yourself a little bit of peace of mind as well. Uh, I, I definitely will do it again because it was that painless and that easy of an experience. Yeah, and, and it does sound like it was very efficient and everything was very easy, which is good. And again, you're not taking tests away from anybody. They're very much encouraging all of this. And um, there, there have been a couple rather large gatherings that where people aren't being socially distant over the last few days. And there's another one coming up on Saturday. I, I would suggest anyone who was at those uh, to go get checked out just to be sure, because I mean, we, we have the tests available now. You, you may as well just have the, the peace of mind. I uh, I just wanted to share that story because it was such a uh, easy, painless, positive experience, and just another tip of the hat to how well Alberta has done throughout all this because we are destroying this thing and uh, our testing continues to be top of the line. So tip of the hat and uh, really, really well done, good stuff. Hey, do you know that today was a pretty darn significant day in Calgary Flames history? We'll tell you about it next as we move into Hour 2 of Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960 The Fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Let's go back in time and celebrate the amazing history of the Calgary Flames. Today in Flames History Starts. Starts. Now. On June 3rd, 2004, it was game number five of the 2004 Stanley Cup Final. Martin Angelina opened the scoring with his eighth of the postseason just two minutes into the contest, while Martin St. Louis would tie it up late in the period, sending it to the second period tied at one apiece. Late in the second, Jerome McGinley's 13th of the postseason would put the Flames in front heading into the third period, but Freddie Modine would score on the power play to tie the game up. It would stay tied for the rest of the period and head into overtime, where in the extra frame, Flames fans witnessed the shift. Jerome McGinley was hooked and held 
and had his helmet falling off, but the Flames captain wouldn't be denied as he set up Oleg Saprikin for the game winner, sending the Red Mile into a frenzy and putting the Flames one win away from a Stanley Cup. Here's Nilsson coming in again in the high slot, turns back the blue line. No shot in there. Hard around the net, Saprikin got it back. Tell you that, but the speed of Oleg Saprikin paid off. And again, I was instrumental on handling the puck inside the line. This record crowd stunned and leaving now, as maybe the cup will be won out west. Today in Flames history, celebrating 40 years of Flames hockey in Calgary on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I honestly, the, the term can sometimes be used. I remember it like it was yesterday, but I honestly remember that like it was yesterday. Welcome back to the program. It's Pinder and Steinberg, Logan Gordon's at the Basement Systems downtown studio, Klein and Steinberg at our places right now. Yep, on June 3rd of 2004, Oleg Saprikin would score one of the biggest goals in Calgary Flames history. Now, unfortunately, the Flames were... Um, not not able to close things out we know that 2004 did not go ultimately the way that everybody in this city wanted it to but i want to just take you back for a second because it's been 16 years now just just for a second think about like if if you were in calgary at that time if you were a flames fan at that time even if you weren't a huge hockey fan and just got caught up in the uh luster and the excitement and the spectacle of the 04 stanley cup run the flames were returning home for game six with a 3-2 series lead in the stanley cup final and i know that that game went the way of the tampa bay lightning and and you know there is the the disputed martin Gellina goal that uh, didn't end up going calgary's way I, i'm aware of all of that but what i like to do is is because as unfortunate as the whole thing was they didn't win that 24-48 hours after Oleg Saprikin scored that goal was one of the coolest times to be a sports fan in this city because the Flames coming back and the anticipation, the excitement level surrounding Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Final was was absolutely incredible because not only did they have the chance, and, and, and I think it's fair to say that the excitement level and anticipation level was significantly different and, and maybe even higher going into Game 6 than it was to Game 7 because I think nerves and anxiety took over between Game 6 and Game 7, whereas palpable excitement and anticipation was the word of the day, the theme of the day going into Game 6. Uh, I know they didn't win the Stanley Cup, but boy, was that a fun time to be in the city of Calgary. And just the everybody you passed, everybody that you were around, there was just a buzz in this city. after, And there was a buzz for two months. But when Saprikin scored that goal and they were a game away from winning a Stanley Cup, it was something else. It was, it was really, really cool to be a part of. Yeah, and I uh, wasn't uh, living in Saskatchewan at the time. But okay, I well, remember your opinion daily... is not valid. Please leave. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's 
the same for almost everything we talk about. But um, no, I, I remember watching from afar and, and there's stories daily about our, all the car flags uh, out in Calgary and the, the Red Mile and everything like that. And then for it to get that close and to think about how raucous that building was going to be for game six after Saprikin scored and then the partying that could potentially ensue after that. that there was it, it really did feel like the eyes of Canada were on Calgary for a while there and specifically for for game six with everyone paying attention to see if this actually happens is that building going to actually explode because it kind of felt like that and it was they were yeah they were a shot away to watch from afar yeah or yeah just a little wraparound away uh depending on the, the situation so yeah no it was uh it was quite the time to, to be watching. I remember back in uh, back in Saskatchewan, people who I didn't even know watched hockey were wearing Flames gear at the time. Like it, it was, they were very much, uh, I'm sure, a bit of a different experience, a little bit further north. But they they were. It felt like, from my perspective, they were Canada's team for a bit there. Well, and and I'll I'll tell you a story, and and I I, I hope that um, this isn't telling story out of uh, a story out of school. I don't think it is, but. I had just started at this radio station in late May, early June of 20, 2004. So I was brand new. And I remember uh, on this, so two nights time, game six, um, after the Flames lost and the, the Marty Shellina goal didn't count and, and all that type of stuff. I remember, and it was a real vivid example of just how high the anticipation was. I came in to do my overnight shift, so I would have been a 19-year-old punk pat. Um, and by punk, I mean, like, the attitude, um, it, because the visual appearance was 19-year-old skinny nerd pat. Anywho, um, I, I came in, and uh, the producer at the time, the, it was after game six, um, and the producer at the time was uh, Bill Rashat, who's a legendary producer around these type parts. And uh, Rob Kerr was at the Saddledome um, and, and doing the overtime program. It was the first year that overtime was on the air. And I just remember near the end of the show, because I came in, I believe my, my shift started at 10. So I came in at around 10, but there was nothing to do because Bill was working the board and doing everything. So I, I was out doing something else. I don't remember exactly what, but I remember I came back in um, and it was, I think, maybe the final commercial break um, and, and going into the final segment of the overtime call-in show. And, and Rob and Bill were just talking to one another and, and you could hear Rob down the line. And, and you know, the, the disappointment in Rob's voice just like think about it from from his standpoint like he was that close to being able to be on the ice for a stanley cup parade a stanley cup celebration rather like and doing on ice interviews and being part of this raucous celebration and and i i still feel bad for him because i i know like now that i am um in the same position he was at the time like that that would feel like an absolute kick in the gut to be that close to going on the ice and being out there and doing live interviews with Stanley Cup champions and all that type of stuff and and like I I still feel choked for the guy that got taken from him and you could like maybe that's a little dramatic um but I I still feel choked that he didn't get the opportunity to do that um because I know how choked I would be if if I had that opportunity and then and then in it didn't end up happening so I just he's like I, I could have could have been part of something and it would have been so and then I mean you know Robbie didn't travel so you know game seven wouldn't have had that opportunity that would have been the one shot for it to happen so it's just that that's just I, I wanted to tell that story because 
it's an example of of just how everybody that how disappointing that game six was and specifically juxtaposing the feeling after game six to around 48 hours before and the feeling after game five um because game five was straight up euphoria and and it was like they were so close and they were that like they were one goal away from winning a Stanley Cup and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to you know bring up old painful memories I'm just more trying to yeah. get you in the spot where just remember how fun that 48 hours was when the Flames had a 3-2 series lead on Tampa that was a pretty cool time in this city yeah, well, and it's one of the reasons why that run, even though it wasn't uh, ultimately successful, is still one that, that's remembered by people to this day, right? Like that, that 04 team holds such a, a special place in the heart of Flames fans, and it's because of the how close they got. And you look at the shift from Jerome McGinley, that, that is one of the all-time iconic moments for Aginla as, as we were going on with his jersey retirement and things of that nature. That was one of the, the things that got brought up, that and the, the Cavalier fight. Um, that, that, that's one of the things that Flames fans are always going to remember uh, Jerome Aginla for. Yeah, it was a pretty special time. Uh, Mike writes in on the text line, 960960. I remember Marcus Nielsen and Martin Jelena just centimeters from ending things. Damn that Happy Bullen. Remember the Flames were that close to tying it in the dying moments of Game 7 as well. Uh, and Happy Bullen made a huge stop. I believe it was Conroy that was that close to tying it in Game 7 after yeah. scoring the only goal for the Flames in the deciding game. Um, God, he was good. <laughs> I, like, Happy I like this text. Thank God Pinder isn't here to tell us about parallax angles. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, you never one. know. It might not have been in the parallax angle. It's like, can we just have this? Can we just say yeah. it was in heaven's sakes? Yeah, it's um I mean, it, it's it's physically impossible for him to go, I don't know. He he has to to know everything about everything, right? So you know, uh, I was at game six, sitting between the blue line and goal line. Jelena goal was in. Uh, Happy Bullen used his arm to push the puck under his leg. The referee was in the opposite corner making his way to the net. No replay till the next year. Was really disappointed. We won that cup. Then St. Louis scored a bit later. Um, this reads, uh, it was Leopold in all alone with two minutes. Yes, that's right. Uh, Leopold had the opportunity um, and uh, was that close to tying it in that 2-1 loss in Game 7. Anyway, that's a pretty significant day in uh, Calgary Flames history today. Uh, they uh, took a 3-2 series lead on this date in 2004 of the Stanley Cup Final. We're underway on Pinder and Steinberg. Hour 2 is now underway. My name is Pat. His name is Peter. Uh, Logan Gordon is at the Basement Systems downtown studio as we are well underway on the program. Top of the hour, we've got Wild Card Wednesday for us. You can always come and say hi to us uh, in numerous different ways on your AM dial, 960 AM. Of course, still the easiest way to get this program and uh, our morning show and all of our programming, plus online, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Say, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960 on your smart speaker at home. We're always on the Radio Player Canada app if you're out and about and uh, new and improved on Instagram Live as well. Come follow along visually with the program and see Peter Klein's brand new haircut. Uh, Instagram Live at Steinberg1984 if you want to come watch the program as well. So many different ways to get this show every afternoon. Um, NHL coming along nicely. The, the, the now... Not as much news over the last eight days, um, but 
going back to last Tuesday when they put out their news and they talked about their return to play format. Uh, it still seems like things are moving in a, the right direction. The NBA is the one that is dominating the news cycle right now because they have come out with their, well, the NBA hasn't, but Adrian Wojnarowski has come out with the uh, finalized plans for an NHL uh, and right. an NBA so restart. They're going to vote on exactly the same thing. They're going to vote on it tomorrow. Um, but the NHL is still moving in the right direction, I believe. And I wanted to throw this one out there because we talked a little bit about this last week, I believe. And we had Chris Johnston on yesterday, our NHL insider. I asked him about you know the push to get a Stanley Cup playoffs in this year and a push to be able to finish the season this year. And I asked him about just the overall concept of doing the summer and then starting next year in January. And if the reason behind that is because they want to make sure that they have a better chance of getting fans in the building for next year when that maybe wouldn't be possible starting the season in September, October. Here, uh, here's Chris Johnston from yesterday on that concept. You're just trying to buy yourself more time. I mean, it, it's more time for, you know, people to figure out everything they need to know about coronavirus. It's more time in certain jurisdictions to figure out maybe how you get 5,000 people in a stadium safely instead of 20,000, which, you know, will probably be the start in some places, but it's better than nothing, um, you know, to have some paying audience uh, rather than none. And, you know, I think it's fair to assume over time all this is going to get better in terms of the financial outlook of the league and, and their ability to, to do things closer to what they used to do, you know, prior to March 12th. And so, you know, I think from the NHL standpoint that that's probably driven the push to get this in, in some way, shape or form is just the understanding that, cause, cause you might just say, look, Hey, we're, we're, this is already a little bit uncertain. We're heading into the summer. Why not just bring everyone back in September for training camp like normal? But I think the problem is, is that there's no guarantee you could even have, if you if you called off this year's Stanley Cup 2019-20 and you said no champion, you know I don't think that there's any reason to believe you could have a 2020-21 season that looks anything close to normal. You know, with camps in September and the start of the regular season in October and those sorts of things. So and and that's that's why I think because there's there's been. I don't want to say a, a massive groundswell, but there's there's been enough people that you see on social media or or you see on our text line that have said, this is stupid, don't play the rest of this season, just cancel it and start next year as per normal. And that, I believe, is an unrealistic thing for the NHL to do, and I'll tell you why. Because I don't believe the NHL has any desire, nor from a business standpoint should have any desire of for a long period of time, like maybe October, November, December into January, playing without fans in buildings. You know, to do a, a playoff and to do a little bit of a play-in tournament and recoup a little bit of the lost revenue from this season in the summertime is one thing. To start and play half of next year's regular season in empty buildings or to be talking about hub cities next year uh, – is, is far less sustainable. So by doing this, they recoup some of the lost revenue from this year. They're able to still hand out a Stanley Cup, which as much as the pessimism is out there that this is only a money grab, I also believe that part of this is still about making sure you hand out a Stanley Cup. You do that, you make it viable, you do it in the hub cities, and you make it as you do it in an unusual circumstance, which is how they're going to do it. 
And yes, that pushes the start of next season to December or January, and it makes next season very different as well. However, by doing that, you buy yourself a significant amount of time where I believe there will be a significantly larger chance of fans being in buildings, maybe not at full capacity, but fans being in buildings to maybe start next year. And then even if it's a shortened 70-game schedule as opposed to 82 for next year, you can still play most of that with fans in the building. Whereas if you were to start an 82-game season in October, scrap this year and not recoup any of that revenue, and then start 82 games next year in October, and then look at playing 30, 40, 50 of those games in empty buildings and only starting to get fans back at the second half, it, you're, you're way, way further behind from a financial standpoint than you are by doing go, going about it this way. That's one of the biggest reasons why there is such a push to finish this year and why the NHL is so okay with starting next year way later than what we're used to because getting fans back in buildings and buying time to even if we're talking about five seven nine thousand people in buildings buying time to do that makes so much more sense from a financial standpoint than starting next season and playing a good chunk of next season without fans in buildings yeah, I do wonder that if if you could guarantee, which you obviously can't, but if you could guarantee that there is going to be people in the stands right at the start of like preseason games in September and into October, and then you start the regular season with at least some people in the stands, I do wonder if things might be a little bit different timeline-wise, but I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. And I just... I don't think you just completely take an L and miss out on a lot of money TV-wise for the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then, like, just so that you can come back and lose more money next year. Like, it, it just, it doesn't work that way. So the, the NHL, and also, this still may not work. Like, there still may be some kind of second wave or whatever. And it's something that's coming up in, in Major League Baseball right now. They're worried about playoff games going into October and going into November because we don't know if there's going to be a fall wave of this. We don't know what the fall months are going to look like for, for COVID-19. So get away from that unknown. Get away from that variable. Try to end your season before you get to that point let us figure out what winter looks like in the, the new normal. And then when you get to December and January, we'll, we'll have a better grasp on this thing. So I, I think the, the whole timeline the NHL is going with right now and the NBA to a certain extent as well. Um, I think the entire timeline that they are going on makes sense for an imperfect situation. And there's there's plenty of, of positive reporting out there, positive studies, positive in indications that, that suggest that a second wave may not be um, as detrimental as, as some are worried about. That's not to say it shouldn't be a worry, but there are some encouraging and positive stories and reporting out there about that. But until we know, we don't actually know. That's kind of the, the whole moral of this pandemic story. But I just think that, you know... It's funny when you start to think about how the NHL or or like we cover the NHL most, so let's talk about them. Let's let's say that January is the time where they restart. I don't think it's crazy to think that in in 31 cities you could have 5,000 fans back in buildings by January. I don't think it's a guarantee, but I don't think it's crazy to suggest that. I don't think it's completely no. blindly naive to go down that road. And then maybe by March you're able to up that to 10,000. And the thing is, is that you're probably going to have to do it in a – you're probably going to have to make it 
equal across the league. Like, you, you're probably not going to – like, say, let's just say, for instance, that, you know, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton are all cleared by January, and you could have 19,000 people back in buildings by then. Not saying that will be the case, but for the sake of this conversation, let's say that's the case. But in New York and California and a couple of other U.S. states, that's not, uh, that's not allowed, and they're only allowing 5,000. Well, I would imagine the NHL would say – for competitive balance, we're going to say, no, 5,000 is the cap for everybody, and when everybody can get to 10, we'll get to 10, so on and so forth. I would imagine that's the way the NHL would do it, just for competitive balance and equity reasons and things like uh, equality reasons, rather, and things like that. That would be my guess. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, obviously, attendances are all over the board just on a regular basis anyway, but I think the NHL 5, would try to mandate Florida. as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, once, once we get past once we get past the five thousand, they're they're just they're good where they're at. They they'll just open up all the doors uh, and just take their chances after it. But no, it's there are a lot of these types of things that need to get figured out. What you're going to do with with fans? What on earth the salary cap looks like? Because uh, spoiler alert: hockey related revenue took a bit of a kick in the teeth this year, uh, especially in the, the back half of the season. So the, the salary cap could look a lot different going into next season. And I, I don't think you can just have, yeah, here we're trimming the salary cap by 15 million. Have fun. There are those discussions that that need to be figured out as well. There's a lot that goes into this. What we have found out so far with the NHL with the, the return to play format. That's barely even scratching step one. There's still a lot to go with this whole thing with the NHL. And there's going to be a lot of meetings being held by the National Hockey League over the next few months. But I think the way they're going about it right now is probably the best way you possibly could. Um, I, I can't I don't see any major flaws that they've had throughout the process. And I think they're going to play like I, 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 yeah. I think that no, it's going to take. It's going to take a, a lot of legwork to get there, and and there's going to be a lot of you know back and forth, and and a lot of large wordy documents that are going to be published before this becomes 100% a reality. But I think it's going to be a reality. I think that we're going to be talking about mm -hmm. NHL hockey in the summer, and I think we're going to be talking about uh, a December January start to next season. Like I believe that that is the way this thing is trending and and realistically trending and. You know, the, the train's kind of pretty far down the road. I mean, I, I don't, unless unless worldwide conditions deem it not realistic and, and don't allow you to make it happen, I don't think the NHL can stop the train now. Like, the, the train is going down the track with the only thing that can derail it is a pandemic, right? Like, the, the train is... is yeah out of the station, and they're saying we're going to play summer hockey. Um, I don't – if if there wasn't the whole caveat about, well, you want to make sure that you can give yourself a better chance to have fans back in buildings, I might be more on side with the just scrap this and start next year like normal. But I don't think even if you did scrap this, you could start next year as normal from a, a financially viable standpoint. So you might as well do this. You're, you're going to – put yourself and the health of your league far further ahead if you do what the NHL is doing now as opposed to just saying screw it we're not doing it let's pause and wait till October that that I don't believe is is realistic I really don't yeah I mean you could see a world where like if all of a sudden 
uh, there's this massive outbreak and we have uh, another Rudy Gobert situation only on a larger scale because I think it would take more than one this time. Um, but if, if you have kind of a, a larger scale of that and you have to just completely shut everything down, I don't think you're starting over again in October anyway. I, I think you would be pushed back further and further. But even if that didn't happen, like I'm so. not even talking like I, I I am not as worried about that as as others are. Like even if that didn't happen, even if you didn't have a second wave or an outbreak, I still don't think that by October we'll be in a place where 31 no, NHL exactly. teams can have fans back. I mean. New yeah, York might yeah. be in a yeah. much better spot in in what would that be uh, three months time, um, four months time. Yeah, it might be a much better spot in four months time. But you're telling me that a, a city is packed tight as New York is going to be completely out of the woods in October. Yeah, I, I think that's harder to believe than in six months or seven months time in January, February. So I, I don't know. I just the more the more time you can buy yourself so that you can give yourself a better chance to have people back in buildings for next season uh i think is smart from a business perspective for the nhl yeah i i I couldn't agree more i think a lot of what is happening right now obviously one of the main goals for the nhl is to get the stanley cup playoffs in for both financial and for actual hockey reasons and then you don't want to completely screw up next year as well and then even into to 21 22 like there are it's going to be a bit before everything is quote unquote back to normal and we'll see what new normals are but you don't want to set that progress back just because right like there, there think... are there, there are real things that are being uh, i think they're moving in the right direction for sure you're probably looking at the 21-22 season as when things are back to normal. I think you're, like, obviously one season, and now clearly two seasons are going to be dramatically affected. I yeah. think you can mitigate that into the third season being 21-22. Um, mm-hmm. I think that you could probably start that season and go October to June like you usually do, assuming worldwide conditions allow it, which I'm I'm very encouraged that they will allow. Uh, I think that you could probably start that season in October of 21. Maybe you start it in the second week of October as opposed to early October and, and, and do it like that. But I think that one has a far better chance of being as per normal. Um, and, and look, they went into July in the 12-13 season, um, or they went into very late June, sorry, with the 2012-13 season where they started uh, in very late January with the lockout. Um, and I think that it'll be a, even, uh, it'll be a very condensed schedule, and you're probably going to go into July uh, in, in the 2021 season. So many 20s. Um, but... <laughs> I, I still think that you could probably start the, the season after that on time. A couple of texts at nine nine six zero nine six zero. If the season doesn't start until January, will it be just the twenty twenty one season rather than twenty twenty one? Well, they only played in twenty thirteen during the lockout shortened season, and I think we still call that the twelve thirteen season, even though there was no yeah. hockey played in twenty twelve. So it just I don't makes know the easier. answer to that question. Just makes it easier to just do keep the the two two-year format the same the, the whole way through it's i agree. complicated otherwise um five thousand that's a full house for the panthers it's a good point As ah. everybody, the, the joke has been made many times um <laughs> oh social distancing the panthers have been doing that for years <laughs> get it because there's no fans there 
Uh, Mike writes, the league is smart. They're delaying next season until a vaccine's ready. A potential second wave would kill an autumn start. Um, so there you go, 960-960 on the uh, text line. A little bit of the reaction on the NHL's restart plan. Hopefully your Wednesday is uh, going along very nicely. Steinberg Klein along with you today. Pinder and Steinberg continues next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Jeff says he wants his own big voice intro. Well, I'm here to oblige. Sportsnet 960, The Fan is talking all things lacrosse with Calgary's own Jeff Snyder. Ah, yes, Jeff Snyder probably doesn't deserve his own big voice intro, but we've got it for him nonetheless. Uh, On the course, once again, uh, for his regular Wednesday chat with us, it's time for Jeff Snyder of Elevate Lacrosse. Hi, Snides, how are you? Hello, Patrick, how are you? I'm well. I hear that that you've got a celebrity golf game going on right now. I am, yeah. Bo Levi and I are, uh, are kicking the hell out of the two general managers here at Country Hills. So we got Ron Dahl and uh, and Colin Lavender. Colin said to say hello to Pinder, but you're not around. No, oh. Pinder's uh, Pinder's on mornings now. Um, oh, is he? So yeah, Pinder's doing morning for the time being. So this is the Snyder and Steinberg show. Well, I mean, it really always is, anyway, isn't it? Well, I feel like it. Is anybody else tuning in for any other reason? I don't think so. Um, how's uh, so? Bo's Bo's shooting well. Uh, yeah, he's playing okay. He's struggling a little bit right now, but we're uh, we're grinding. You know, we're grinding it out. These two old guys ain't got nothing on us. No. Well, I'm I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, ask Bo how his uh, Ask Bo how his shoulder is. I think he's doing okay. Yeah. He's, he's a little, yeah, I'm a little past him right now. He's uh, he's on his third shot. I'm walking up to my first. So. What it was? So uh, where? Uh, what 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 hole are you on right now? We're walking up on 15, and uh, I listened to your terrible joke about the Panthers and sliced one into the water, so I appreciate that. <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't my joke. I'm just retelling the awful joke about the Panthers. Oh, gotcha. Um, well, you are. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have funny jokes myself. I have to, I have to steal them from somebody. We'll go out and we'll go out when you quit dodging me, or we can go back to a restaurant. You still owe me a steak dinner. I do owe you a steak dinner. I think actually, I think I actually I owe you my appearance at a steak dinner. I think that the (laughs) I owe you a steak dinner is is maybe a little. But you know what? I'll I'm I I, I'll get off my wallet. I'll uh I'll buy you what what I'll buy you a fillet and you can uh you can you can crush that and uh, deal. Sounds good, my man. I like it. I'm into that. Stop shaming me. Um, can you uh, just just for a second? Can you imagine Major League Baseball is having a lot of issue figuring out their uh, the way they're going to return to action, whereas the NBA and um, the NHL are really going in a positive direction. Not so much for Major League Baseball. Can you imagine in the midst of a pandemic? not being able to start your season based only on economic things and not because like if a pandemic lets you play, but you can't figure out the other stuff. Can you imagine being a part of a sport like that right now? Oh man, you know, it's, it's such a great question. And I think, um, you know, there's just so many things going on in the world right now. I think it's, uh, you know, sports, it's, it's gotta be tough, you know, talking about, about all that stuff too. It's just, man, I don't know. I don't know what's next. Um, and, you know, I just think, uh, you know, the players want to play. I was, man, I was watching rugby the other day on TV. So they, they seem to got that figured out. Nobody in the crowd, but the boys are playing, um, you know, but economically, you know, I, I can understand, you know, that's what the, 
that's it. You know, when you when you stop playing amateur sports and you head into into the pro leagues and you start doing that thing, it's uh, you know that's that's what that's what sports is about when you've got management and players. So, you know, they got to figure it out. It's got to it's got to be a win win for everybody and and just a massive loss, you know, for for you know the planet right now. So, it's got to be tough. I can't imagine being in that situation. But I'll tell you what, I'd sure like to watch some sports on TV. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Tell, okay, now put us in the. What is in the shoes of a, a pro athlete? Like, let, let's take a look at the NHL and the NBA. They, they both are targeting somewhere in the late July, early August range to resume their seasons, and they both shut down at the same time in March. So from mid-March to late July, let's say, that's, you know, three and a half months. Um Put yourself in the spot of, of playing, and you've been off for three and a half months. You haven't been able to train like you're used to, and now you're starting again. Just from a, a not even more a, a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, what would be the challenges of doing that? You know, I, I think there's more positives than negatives. Um, you know, guys want to play. They've been cooped up. Um, you know, guys want to train. Just ask them both. You know, it's impossible right now. I'm talking to Adam Lowry as well, you know, it's just, you know, guys are doing everything they can to be prepared to go, but everybody's kind of in the same boat. So, you know, I think, you know, the mental challenges, I think it's just more excitement than anything else. Um, you know, being ready to go, it's just like, give me something to do. Like put me out on the, I, again, I keep saying it. I think it's going to be entertaining. You got a bunch of alphas cooped up and, you know, let them loose on one another. I think it's going to be entertaining. I really think it is. I don't think there's, a lot of negatives as an athlete getting back to playing other than, you know, your body's got to be in shape. I think mentally, you know, these guys are ready to go. I think kids, yeah. they want to play. They want to get out there. And, you know, for me, I, I'd be chomping at the bit to, to get out there and compete. So, you know, the mental side, I think the mental side is, is taking place right now. Who's going to be ready? You know, who's going to be playing and who's going to be training and uh, you know, who's going to be ready to go here is the mental side is taking place right now. The, you know, the icing on the cake is actually being let loose in an arena and, and you know, burning off some steam. With Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse, he joins us every Wednesday on the program. Um, you've, uh, you, you've, I think the last two or three times you've joined us, you've been on the course. Um, how, uh, how, like, how has your golf game gone? Is, are, are we talking about um, things, uh, things starting to round into form here? Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I just piped one while you were asking me that question about 10 feet. So I'm going to stay off the green here and socially distance while these guys, you know, miss their putts. And then I'm going to go drain my park. So I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. I'm, uh, I'm in the mid eighties and you know, it's just a, it's, it's actually great. Like getting outside and, and these courses are open and everybody's being responsible. It's, it's just nice to have an outlet and to be able to go out and, and do something outside and, and, uh, you know, the, Golf courses are being responsible. I, you know, I love the guys at Country Hills. They treat us really well, and and you got some guys out here um, having a good time, and it's a lot of fun. So it's just nice to be able to you know, be out, be outside, and play. And amidst all of this, it's a real positive to to come out and, and compete in, in some sort of fashion. So we're lucky to be able to do so. People still being pretty respectful out there when it comes to social distancing and things like that. I don't get a lot of respect on the golf course at all. So I think in terms of just in general, um, you know, I get chirped pretty hard, so I'll, uh, I'll take it, but uh, yeah, everybody's, you know, doing their part. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just, you know, in terms of what's going on in Calgary, tons of adversity, I'm proud of the city and proud of you know, the, the, you know, the people that are in this city and, and, you know, everybody's doing their part and contributing and, you know, there's shades of gray to 
on all of this stuff, but I think for the most part, everybody's really doing their part. I know Country Hills has suspended some folks, and AHS has been around making sure people are doing the thing, the right things, and you know, everybody's uh, everybody's you know contributing to you know to be a part of this process here, and and hopefully we get to a solution uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, what's happening at Elevate Lacrosse? Are we uh, are we talking about things starting to ramp up, and uh, maybe you know all all depends on government regulations. But uh, thinking about maybe being able to get on the field by the end of the summer. Yeah, we've got a uh, a program that we just launched um, recently here to do our small group training. Um, so we're in the process of working with Bob. He's doing a great job putting together you know, skill training for the big priority for us right now is the, the kids that are at NCAA schools that came out of our program. So we're looking to get those guys up and running and girls as well, um, trying to get them in a position where they're ready to hopefully go back in the fall. We're going to open that up to, you know, more kids dependent on registration and time and space. And then at the same time, um, Calgary Field Lacrosse is, is up and running. Um, registration is open right now. And, uh, you know, the guys are, we're getting ready to go. And, uh, we're uh, we're open. There's over 200 kids registered, um, and that begins in July. So, you know, again, uh, with respect to HS and social distancing guidelines, and um, you know, managing, you know, managing a, you know, I don't think we're gonna you're gonna see a field with 50 kids on it, but we're gonna do everything we can to, you know, make sure that we're uh, we're you know setting the bar and you know being you know best in class with respect to you know leading on how this uh, return to play looks. So it's exciting and. It's a big challenge, um, but right now, you know, the registration is doing really well. I think it's a real testament to the fact that folks want to get outside and, and get doing stuff and, and get playing, you know, sport again. I, you know, I just keep going back to the to the mental side of this for, for kids and families, and, you know, sport is such a big deal. Um, I love what – I see what kids' sports doing all the time. I think their, you know, their, their last campaign was, you know, when we stand up for one another, we learn, and, and sport's a big part of that. I think the mental health component, getting kids out – in a responsible fashion and making sure that, you know, we have an ability to, to help, um, you know, just take a little bit of the load off and, and add to the, to the day-to-day while we navigate this thing is really important. So, you know, it, every, it's very fluid. Um, you know, things keep changing and, you know, dependent on, you know, how this thing looks in July, you know, we're going to be structuring sessions to make sure that uh, everything's operating in a safe manner. And I'm just really excited about the challenge and the opportunity to, to be again best in class and and lead in the community and and do things the right way so it's an opportunity and we're gonna take it as seriously as as it deserves to be taken and then hopefully we uh you know we create an opportunity for some young people to get out and and to uh develop their skills and and um you know have some fun and and again take a take a little bit of the edge off and hopefully be a a a bit a bit of the part of the solution here Thank you, Snides. Uh, have a uh, have a great rest of your round. Hopefully, uh, 16, 17, and 18 are good for you, my friend. Well, I just parred, so I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. It's all good. It's impressive uh, yeah, that you I could do this. Like you're playing during the hit. Like most times, you stop playing. Like you've been able to play and play well during the hit. That's impressive. It's about range, man. I'm moving into some different things. I, I think I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking at investing into a granola company here. It's called Oni Granola. I'm, uh, you know, you wouldn't think about me doing that. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, playing golf while we're chatting. I got, I got all sorts of stuff on the go. I'm pumped. <laughs> you're, a, uh, you're a good man, Snyder. We'll talk next week. Good luck on the course. <laughs> Love you, brother. Thanks so much for having me on. You guys are the best. I can't wait to talk, uh, talk next week. Thanks, Snides. Take it easy, brother. 
Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse. He joins us Wednesdays on the program. You can get all the latest on lacrosse in this city, uh, their return to action uh, platform, so on and so forth, all at elevatelacrosse.com, doing some great work in the community, great work with young athletes, um, and whether it be trying to get players to the next level or just get them active uh great stuff at elevate lacrosse and great stuff as always from jeff snyder he joins us on the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline working hard to reopen soon for sit down drinks and dining atlas pizza still up uh, still open for pickup or delivery by calling 403-248-3344 that's 248-3344 this is pender and steinberg on sportsnet 960 the fan Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960 The Fan is here for you. No sports? No problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Wildcard Wednesday coming up at the top of the hour. The news today, I think, would be fair to say, dominated by the NBA and their return to play news, broken by Adrian Wojnarowski earlier today. If you have not seen it, I'll give you kind of the Coles notes. Klein, tell me if I'm missing anything here. But uh, it's a 22-team return to play. It is not a balanced look from conference to conference. Of those 22 teams, 13 will come from the Western Conference and just nine from the Eastern Conference. They will play eight regular season games in Orlando. Those eight regular season games will determine the final standings of those 22 teams, and those will determine the 16 teams that end up playing in the NBA postseason, an NBA postseason that will look the same, at least in terms of best of sevens and um, brackets and, and all that type of stuff, will look the same as to what we're used to. And the latest that an NBA championship would be handed out would be on october 12th if the nba finals were to go right. seven games there would be um eight teams from each conference that are in the playoffs one extra team in the eastern conference five extra teams in the western conference all based on how close they are to being a playoff team those eight regular season games would allow the teams to jockey for position and come up with the final standings and the one thing that i have not mentioned yet to to round it all out is that there would be a mini play-in tournament if the number nine seed was within four games of the number eight seed so there's only one team that would be in contention for that in the east so washington would have to be within four games of the eight seed whereas there would be conceivably five teams who could get their way into that um into that same conversation in the Western Conference, and then there would be a play-in tournament to decide just who the number eight seed is for the 2020 postseason. Miss anything? Am I missing anything there? Uh, no, I think you, uh, I think you nailed it. Um, it's, I think, a very fair way of going about things. I do kind of wish there was a bit more creativity in in some of these but i, I also understand you don't want to like, go what too we far down what, the what, what type of creativity are you wanting that here? world cup format thing was a lot of fun I, I thought that could have been cool but even just having like a, a potential crossover okay, what world like cup here. format for those who don't understand what you're talking about what are you talking about right so they, they would have breaking broken wow uh broken things up into four or five groups 
and they would have basically tiered the teams. So like tier one probably would have been Milwaukee, Toronto, LA, and LA, and then tier two other teams and like that. And you break up the groups that way. So you have like a top tier, a couple middle tiers, and a bottom tier of the, the 20 or 22 that you want to have left. And they would play like World Cup style where they would just do a round robin and then the top two from each group or whatever would go into the postseason. So that way you, you kind of knock the rust off a little bit, but you're not playing any unmeaningful games or anything like that for some of the, the main teams. So I, I thought it was a creative way to come back. Is it the most fair? I don't know, probably not. But I, I thought I thought that could have been a, a bit more creative for sure. So you're like, do you have a threshold for gimmicky and not gimmicky? Because uh, that, that, Cup one that is way over the line for me. <laughs> it's just, it, it eliminates any, because like for the Raptors, you're basically just playing to knock the rust off, right? Like there's, the, the Raptors enter this six and a half games back of Milwaukee for the one seed in the East. And as we've discussed before, home court advantage isn't a thing. So, but they're I, only I three know. up on Boston for the two seed in the East. Yes, so exactly. you're still and, playing. You play you're still playing for seeding, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so there is still something on the line. And, and like, would you rather play? Would you ra- if you're you're a Raptors guy? Would you rather them play Brooklyn or Philadelphia? Well, very much Brooklyn. Absolutely, hundred percent. And that's the difference Brooklyn. of yeah. finishing it, two, totally. three, at least right now. Yeah, but like for the for the Lakers, who are five and a half games up on the Clippers. They don't got a lot to play for. And same thing for the Bucks. And the, the World Cup format would have at least had every team have something to play for right away. Overall, this is definitely the most fair way of going about things. If I were to change one thing, uh, I think because you have everyone in the same area, hub, you could do a bit of a crossover, right, with the, the eighth seed or whatever, because you're going to have all these teams there anyway, and maybe there's a team with a better record that gets through. But overall, th- this is definitely the, the best way of going about the it. Only, the only thing about that, and I, I get what you're saying, right? Like, I mean, if there's ever a time to do things differently for one year, 2020 is the year. I, I'm fully yeah. aware of that. Let's see what works. But if you're trying to minimize the asterisks that might be placed beside a season do you want to do things that are so drastically different than the way you've done them before and the way that you'll do them going forward like i can't imagine that if like for instance they'd never do this world cup format that you're talking about ever again i don't think um and that's probably fair and i also don't know if they'd ever do a crossover again if they were to do something like that like do you do you want to do something that is such a departure format-wise from how you'd usually do it and how you're going to do it down the road for just one year? And I think that that is why in both the NHL and the NBA's cases here, yes, things have to be different, but you don't want to make them so different that it kind of looks like a big-time misnomer in in the annals of history i I think that's kind of the balance and the threshold that they're trying to strike in both leagues right Right. now yeah and and i understand that i would say from the nba's perspective they've been talking about reducing the amount of games that they play anyway and so if you reduce the number of games you play to the like 60 62 range and then you do a world cup format for your playoffs after you you still have a number of teams who are going to be getting a fairly substantial amount of, of gate revenue and things of that nature. But do you ever see it's, that happening? 
you you very much could. This is the M- the NBA has been talking about doing midseason tournaments and stuff like that because they are talking about cutting down their season. This is one thing where you could have tested it out and see if it worked. Again, I think they came up with the best scenario. I'm just saying they have been Adam Silver has been saying that they might want to trim that schedule down because 82 games were seeing a lot of loan management and things like that. So if you're only getting the stars for 60 games anyway, why not just play 60 games and then get more teams involved in, in this World Cup-style format at the end and you're still getting a, a pretty substantial amount of gate revenue and then you still have a tournament at the end. Now what's your feel on money balls? Well, not, not a big money ball fan. Not, uh, I don't think you should bring in a four-point line or, or anything like that in the, uh, in the NBA or money puck like they have in the NHL threes on uh, yeah, NHL If you're going uh, to go gimmicky, you might as well have, like, just randomly somebody throws in a blue ball okay. and uh, now, now it's worth now, – now every shot's worth double. I don't think suggesting a different playoff format is the same as saying that there's. Oh going to be my a four goodness! Point Clay Thompson with his ninth six-point shot of the year. He leads the league in six pointers. No, I mean he would. I, no, I think he would too. Um, yeah. Also, just a quick aside. We're gonna go gimmicky. Gonna be... We might as well. I don't think it's that gimmicky. I think that it's something that was legitimately discussed. Um, but yeah, no, and I. Again, they came up with the best format, but if you wanted to get creative, now was the time to get creative. And here I am giving you the money ball the, the, the money ball idea, and that's not creative enough for you. Or that's too creative for you. Too, I don't know. Too creative. I can't, yeah, too I can't creative. find I cannot find your sweet spot, Klein. Can't <laughs> find it. I'd say World Cup format is about my limit. Interesting. Uh, happy Wednesday. Uh, we'll take a break when we come back. Uh, hey, look, it's, it's a Wednesday, which means it's wild card Wednesday. One of our, uh, favorite segments of the day, an opportunity to learn more about us than you've ever wanted to know. Uh, we've gotten very personal over the last three months and that continues next final hour of the program kicks off with wild card Wednesday in just minutes here on Pinder and Steinberg sports that 960, the fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Ah, yes. Another Wednesday, another opportunity for us to share some stories and share some uncomfortable moments from our past. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday on this Wednesday afternoon. Final hour of the program is underway. My name is Pat Steinberg. I'm here at Shea Pat. Kleiner is at Shea Klein. And Logan Gordon is holding down the fort at the Basement Systems downtown studio. Uh, Final hour of the program. Uh, Make sure you catch In Conversation with Ron McClain, uh, Flames General Manager Brad Treliving, along with Maple Leafs GM Kyle Dubas, the featured guest. So Brad Treliving is part of In Conversation coming up at the top of the hour. Before we get to 5 o'clock, we'll hear from Shai Davidi, uh, Sportsnet's Major League Baseball insider on the the absolute mess 
That is Major League Baseball's labor negotiations and trying to get their season off the ground. Uh, before we get to Wild Card Wednesday, a reminder, you can catch us online, sportsnet.ca slash 960 on your AM radio dial, 960 AM. Uh, say, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960 on your smart speaker at home. You can get us on the go on your mobile uh, on your mobile device thanks to the Radio Player Canada app. And now the one segment you want to come watch and see us cringe on is probably Wild Card Wednesday. You can also watch the program uh, on Instagram. Instagram Live. Come follow along on Instagram. We stream the show Steinberg1984 every day, so you can come watch the show. If there's one that you really want to watch, it's probably Wild Card Wednesday. So, uh, yeah, come on board. Logo on here for that. I, I wish I, I wish that you could do more than two people on IG Live. Apparently, they're working on that. Right. Um, but uh, for the time being, it's worked out all right, um, and uh, it's, it's been a pretty decent and, and somewhat enjoyable experience. So come on through if you'd like to do that. Uh, Wild Card Wednesday works like this. We're in a smoky casino. We have got our big slot machine. Um, we have got our five different categories on that slot machine, personal life, pop culture, career, sports, and wild card. Each one of us pulls the slot machine once. Uh, we ask a question, and then we all answer said question. Logo's our leadoff guy. He goes first. Let's uh, see how we're doing as Logo kicks us off on Wild Card Wednesday. Let's rock. Wild Card. Ooh. Logo can go anywhere. Mm, I can. Uh... <clears throat> What is the most embarrassing text message you have sent or received? Ooh. <laughs> We've all done okay. it. We've all okay. intentionally done it or I can't I can't say exactly Sure you can. What no I really can't. <laughs> nope, you absolutely um, can. I'll I'll paraphrase. You can, you just won't. <laughs> yeah, more more that I won't. Yeah, um but I'll tell okay, I'll tell this story. Good. Um so and, and and I I don't know how I'll I'll tell the story first. So I want to say this would have been like summer 2014 or so. So six five or six years ago. I don't know if it was summer 2015 or summer 2014. Anyway, I was going on a date and it was a date with um, somebody that that um, a, a lot of my friend group knew. And um, I was outside of her apartment waiting for her to come down so we could go for drinks. So I don't remember what we were going to do. And so I – luckily I didn't say anything that was too offside or, or like, rude or anything like that. Luckily, because I try not to do that anyway. But essentially I sent something to um, to a friend of mine – about the person that I was going on a date with, I thought I was sending it to a friend of mine. Instead, I sent it to her. Now, luckily, oh. what I said was not rude. And again, I, I try not to say those things anyway. So that that um, quest helped me. Um, but what right. I essentially what I said was like um, something about like I'm trying to think exactly what it was that I said. But it was essentially like, hey. Uh, this is like something about this is the the best looking girl I've been on a date with for a long time. Hopefully she gives me the time of day. Someone like that. Anyway, I sent it to her, 
and she came down and got it, and she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what do you mean? And she read the text, and that's how I found out that I sent it to her and not to my friend. Mm. And uh, so the, the next um, the next about 20 minutes, I was so rattled driving my car, I could not could not carry on a conversation. I finally <laughs> snapped out of it um, and was able to get back to being awkward as per normal as opposed to super awkward like I was being. Um, and the date went fine. I believe we went on a date again uh, after that, and then it, it kind of uh, flickered out. But, uh, yeah, that was probably the most embarrassing. And it was more – it was less about what I said and more about the fact that it happened and I was so embarrassed that it happened um, because I was trying to, like, play it cool and, like, oh, I don't think she's – I'm not so into her. You know, you're reading the books. You don't want to, like – you don't want to show all your cards early on and stuff like that. And here I am telling her that, oh, yeah, I'm totally into this girl. And, like, and, and next thing you know, I'm sending it to her instead of my friend. Anyway, that's probably the most embarrassing. PK? That's a good one. I, I don't have um, – I, I don't have one – that I can think of that's like, oh, I meant to send a text to this person, but I sent it to that person because I'm so paranoid about doing that that I just, like, super pay attention to that all the time. Um, but there was, when I was uh, between jobs, uh, before I, I came back out here to Calgary, I was applying at jobs all over the place, and I sent one to Moose Jaw, and um, apparently, and I discovered this after... Uh, obviously, um, but I instead of obviously. sending my instead of sending my resume, I sent them my budget for the month. Uh, so the, the guy the guy was pretty cool about it. He said, um, "This looks fine. Clearly, you need a job, but uh, I'm I'm gonna need a resume." Instead. Clearly, you need a job. Uh, yeah, it was like uh, like we we see why you're applying. Four dollars um, Maxim magazine. <laughs> Um, WWE yes, Network, $400. Yeah, uh, apparently I, I missed the... Uh, apparently I misread resume and budget, so that was my bad. Logo, you have to have one. You I've asked got, the question, so you yeah, must have a good one. I've got, I've got two. Okay. Uh, specifically, one of them um, happened back in high school. Uh, it wasn't a text, but it was um, through the school's like learning portal thing online. You could uh, send messages to teachers or counselors and stuff and message them through like a little chat thing on there. Um, and I meant to message uh, a girl that I was working on a group project with uh, and I accidentally messaged the school counselor. Uh, and I didn't realize until the Monday after I had sent uh, some stuff on the weekend, I was talking about her if she wanted to hang out on the weekend and what was going on, if she had any plans. Uh, and so I came back to, uh, to find out that the school counselor wasn't interested in hanging out with me on weekends, and that would be inappropriate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, positive news. The school counselor is not one of those creepy people that you're going to find on the news, but uh, also not the funnest thing for me to find out. Um, and uh, one time, there was uh, this was a, probably a year ago or so, uh, there was a girl I was seeing and uh, I had gotten her mom's uh, oh, no. phone number uh, yeah, because I was trying yeah, that, that's what it was. Um uh, I was trying to, she was good for, her mom was good friends with my mom, and so I was trying to set up some uh, dinner thing for my mom as a surprise. 
but I didn't put her number as a contact in my phone. I just had it as a number, and one night, I think we were out at craft or something, and I had no idea what this number was on my phone. And I kept telling all my friends, I was like, I don't know who this is. So I just decided to text them, and I was like, who the hell is this? And she texted me back that it was, this was so-and-so's mom, and uh, why are you being so aggressive? And uh, yeah, I wasn't quite sure who it was, but I didn't feel like asking nicely. So uh, that was the end of that conversation. So uh, yeah, those are my two. Um, here's a couple of um, responses on the text line at 960960. Uh, bitching to my wife about my girl's swim coach, and I sent it to the coach. I said some really mean Ooh. things. Oops. What do you even do in that circumstance? Like, ha, 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 gotcha, just kidding. Like, you, just, you right. basically got to own it and say, yeah, that wasn't supposed to go to you. I apologize. This is how I actually feel about you. Um, this I have on numerous occasions sent the station, your station. I love you, babe. Text accidentally. That we get a lot great. on the we station. We do get a lot of that. Like, yeah. Hey, hey, hon, almost home. <laughs> wrong, uh, wrong number, bud. Not us. <laughs> That's uh, not the right person to be texting. Mm-hmm. Um, I once sleep texted my father-in-law the words man rub at one in the morning <laughs> wow <laughs> that how did that go over Bro. um when i was 16 i sent my mom the text i was supposed to send my cannabis guy <laughs> yeah it didn't go to yeah can i get a gram so, what well, what are you talking yeah, about yeah. i like this one ruth from saskatoon goes I got my job at the city of Calgary because on the bottom of my resume, uh, I put I would do anything for this job. Well, almost anything. But the thing was, it was a gag resume. I didn't mean to send it out. But I got the job anyway. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Sending out a gag resume and still getting the job. Um, Hey, hon, I'm off to work. And, yes, hun is for you, Pat. Aw, that's nice. Thank you very much. me and my wife call each other bummy. Yes, bummy. I texted my female boss, I love you, bummy. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is quit. mortifying. So brutal. Yeah, I would quit. The boss ones would be so bad, man. Like, just awful. Like, at least if it was Kirsch. Like, at least if it was Kirsch, you could laugh about it. He'd be like, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm your, uh, your sex kid. But uh, that was a funny text, anyway. Uh, but like, if you were to if you were to do it to a boss that you know wasn't as good a sport as Kirsch is, uh, you might be uh, you might be in a little more trouble. Um, I won't say who the name is, but one of our coworkers texted says, "My wife and cousin's wife have the exact same name. I once drunk sexted the wrong one." Oh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Texting your cousin's wife. Whoa. Because <laughs> they have the same name. Yikes. Logan with another outstanding leadoff shot on uh, Wild Card Wednesday. Uh, I hope that I can follow up. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Pop culture. Okay. Uh, no, it's not going to be as fun, but it might expose how awful... Um, our literary knowledge is um gentlemen what's your favorite ever book your favorite book that you've ever read oh. read it does not have to be a literary classic i don't need uh, grapes of wrath or um 
Catcher in the Rye or anything like that. Just uh, give me your favorite book ever. Wow. Um, there's not a lot to choose from. Not uh, You have to have read, like, some sports books or something like that, right? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Um, Bret Hart's book's really, really good. There's a lot of, of good stories about uh, the time in Stampede Wrestling. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Bret Hart's book. Um, yeah. Bret Hart's book. You've got, like, the, the, just not a lot of not a lot of sitting back and reading a book, hey? No, no. And any book that I read, um, th- there's not a lot of, like, just stories or anything like that. Like, it's a lot of this is about a person sort of books. Okay. So uh, Bret Hart is where you're going. Uh, what yeah. about you, Logo? Do you have anything that isn't um, – isn't sports related that you would throw in there? Yeah, what I now this is an older reference just because I remember these liking these books so much when I was a kid. I used to read the Lemony Snicket books all the time when I was a kid. Okay. Series of unfortunate events. More recently, um, I, I I'll generally stick to sports, but there are two that I've read uh, in the last month that I would um, highly recommend. I can't remember the name right now of the book, and it's killing me. But uh, Tim Donahue, the uh, referee in the NBA Ooh. that got involved in uh, the betting scandal. He That'd wrote a book uh, about it. And I can't remember the name of it. I've got it on my dresser at home. I just finished it. And it was uh, an interesting look at uh, all the inside stuff that he was doing. And um, the subtle art of not giving a bleep uh, is another one that I finished recently and I thought was a pretty good one. Apparently that's a really good book. It is. It's yeah. a good read. That's on my list. Um, okay, so I've got a few. Uh, I've got a number one sports book and then a number one non-sports book. Um, the number one sports book, I, I don't know. Like this must have been 0708 when it came out. Um, Jeremy Schapp of ESPN, who is a, a really, really good writer, and and I've always enjoyed his his books. He wrote the uh, Jesse Owens story. It's called Triumph. Uh, the mm. untold story of Jesse Owens and Hitler's Olympics. And it's a really, really good read. It, 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 it is an incredible. He uses, he uses storytelling. He uses news articles and headlines from the time uh, to help paint the picture of mid-1930s America. Um, it, it's, it's actually interesting we're talking about this now, knowing what is going on uh, south of the border. But it just, it, it was in a lot of ways, it was disturbing. In a lot of ways, it was inspiring. Um, this is a really, really good read um, that I think does so much justice to the story that wasn't told at the time about Jesse Owens and unfortunately only could be told 60, 70, and 80 years later. But uh, So Triumph, the Jesse Owens story, uh, would, would be my number one sports book by Jeremy Schapp. And then... Uh, here is my uh, number one. It would not. I, I I do believe it's considered a literary classic, but you read it in I think junior high. Um, but uh, the great book by S. E. Hinton, The Outsiders, is my favorite book, my favorite literary work of all time. 
I love that movie. I, I sorry, I love that book, and I love the movie. Uh, with I mean, when you're talking about Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze and Emilio Estevez and Rob Lowe and Matt Dillon uh, and Ralph Macchio uh, and on and on and on, the book was outstanding. The movie pays homage to that book. I love The Outsiders. I don't know what it is about that book, but I, I always really enjoyed it. I must have read it now like seven or eight times. We're not talking about like the, the most... Um, it's not like the highest comprehension level that you need to read it or anything like that. Like I've read Grapes of Wrath, and I thought it was very engaging, if not a hundred percent depressing. Um, of Mice and Men is a small little book, same author, and and it's a really engaging but extremely depressing read. Um, the Outsiders, uh, I always it, it 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 even though there is depressing and heavy subject matter in it at times. Um, it always is. It's always a nostalgic. Bring a smile to my Facebook. So I, I'll go with the Outsiders as mine. And the the Tim Donahue book, I finally found it. A personal foul. If personal foul. Yeah, okay. Personal mm. foul. If you're interested in, in uh, that one, kind of interesting. Really yeah. Uh, what else we got here on the text line at nine six zero nine six zero? The another one for the one logo throughout there. The subtle art of not giving a bleep is a great read. Um, Facing Ali by Stephen Brunt, fantastic. Each chapter is about I've a different guy really that good. Ali fought. I, I can imagine uh, that would be good. Uh, Theo's book was excellent. I, I, I have read Theo's book in a mm. very, very engaging read. Um, what else we got? Bob Cole, now I'm catching on. Um, somebody goes, I'm surprised Pat doesn't read what Oprah tells him. Uh, I've never been a part of the Oprah uh, book club. <laughs> Uh, what else we got here? The one, the one recommendation, uh, Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six, uh, the guy from Motley Crue. I've heard really, really good things uh, about that one. It's, it'll make you feel a certain way, uh, but, but I've heard it's, it's really good. This reads, uh, Pat's a big Lord of the Flies guy too. No, I think Lord of the Flies is the biggest piece of trash, waste of time book that has ever been written. I despise Whoa. it. I hate the movie. I hate the book. Around the same time you read Lord of the Flies, you read The Outsiders. One made me want to never pick up a book again, and the other makes me feel good about reading. I despised Lord of the Flies. Um, the Tiger Woods book, the Mike Tyson autobiography. Um, mm. Somebody throws out Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Another... Um, uh, upvote for Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six. So uh, that uh, that was fun, and uh, I really do quite enjoy uh, reading. And I've I've started reading again, as many people have uh, during the pandemic. Okay, Mr. Klein, are you ready to uh, bat clean up today? A lot of pressure, but yeah, let's do it. Sports. Okay. Um, what is your favorite sports memory not involving your favorite team? So Ooh. not involving a team that you cheer for, hey? Yes. Now, Easy as a Chargers fan. Yeah, not a lot of ones <laughs> to choose from for Logo as a Chargers fan. Now, does this... Yeah. Does cheering for your country in the Olympics count as your favorite team? Yes. Sure does, Pat. Okay, so, like, okay, so... um, No allegiances whatsoever. Okay, so from a totally objective standpoint, my favorite sporting yeah. memory. Logo, do you have one? I'm, gonna... I'm thinking here too. It's I need to ruminate. A, a good a question second. that okay. makes you think a bit. Now you tell me if this counts. Okay. But I had uh, allegiances to not cheering for a team. Does that count? Like when Plexico <laughs> uh, that... Burris when Plexico Burris caught that pass in the end zone, 
to give the Giants the lead and ruin New England's perfect season, I I, I felt more joy at that than when the Bucks won their Super Bowl. Like I I was. I, I became the biggest New York Giants fan on the planet Earth for a three and a half hour span. Like I and and I remember watching that final drive and the David Tyree helmet catch and and that all culminated with Plexico Burris in the end zone wide open. Like it was the most anticlimactic finish because it's not like Burris had to go up in double coverage and and make a catch. Like he was so wide open in the corner of the end zone, I could have made the pass. I can't throw a very good spiral, so maybe not. But uh, most, you know, okay, uh, Ryan Leaf or or Jamarcus Russell could have made that pass. Um, it was it was that easy for Eli to complete, and yeah, that that would be I think the number one sporting memory not involving a team that I cheer for. It involved a team that I vehemently cheered against, but right. uh, that would be one. And the other one would be same thing, vehemently cheering against a team and being in the building. And watching the Montreal Alouettes mount that comeback in uh, the first Grey Cup win over Saskatchewan and being on the field and watching the riders celebrate and knowing that there was a flag on the play because I saw the flags go up in the end zone uh, after Damon Duvall missed the kick and, and watching watching that uh, celebration come to an end and going from pure joy to pure anguish in the snap of a finger uh the riders 13th man fiasco would rival the patriots super bowl loss first super bowl loss the giants those would be the two for me and you can't get mad at me klein because you asked the question i was gonna say just giving it to (laughs) pete on that one eh yeah jeez um, I had to think about it for a while, be, uh, for a little bit, because you're right. I think the ones that are with your own team probably sticks with you a little bit more. Uh, so I kind of had to think of moments that I, I really enjoyed. Um, one of them, I'm not going to lie, I'm one of those guys as far as it comes to the NFL uh, that got sick of the Patriots winning all the time. So the Philly special uh, is a moment that sticks out for Philly, me Philly. Uh, just because – Especially with Nick Foles being the guy coming in for Philly, and I didn't think they, you know, they got much love going into that one. So that's uh, a pretty big one for me. Um, sticking with football, the Minneapolis miracle a few years ago. Uh, I still don't know what that DB was doing. It's just one of the stupidest plays I've ever seen in my life. But um, the Vikings fans uh, going crazy on that one was was pretty cool and. Uh, probably Tiger coming back to win the uh, the Masters a few years ago was another uh, good one. Uh, pretty cool moment uh, for that. I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a big golf guy. I don't really cheer for anyone specifically, but uh, that's probably uh, the ones that come to mind for me. Okay, Kleiner, what, uh, what, what is yours? For me, my, mine is very similar to, to what you guys were saying, but in a different sport. Um, I grew up in a household where my dad would like we and us – any team that was playing the Yankees. Um, so that was that, that one when, uh, when Luis Gonzalez hit the, the walk-off hit for the, uh, the Diamondbacks to beat the Yankees in the 2001 world series, that was definitely a, a, a big moment for us. So that was probably my favorite one there, uh, in hockey. For some reason, the one that stands out to me is, uh, Jason Arnott scoring in double overtime to, to win the cup for the, uh, the devils in 2000 over the, uh, the Dallas stars for whatever reason, that's one that, that has always kind of, uh, stuck with me. Why? Why does that stick with you? 
I don't know. Apparently, I hated the stars as a, a 10-year-old. Apparently, I was not a big Dallas huh. Stars guy. So hmm. that's one that I, I always remember being uh, pretty happy about. And then the next year with uh, with Joe Sackett giving it to, to Ray Bork, that was pretty cool as well. Uh, see, I have a lot of experience with this because none of my teams do well, aside from the, the, the Raptors one from the, this last year. So in, in the NBA, I know the Lakers, like, it, it's not fashionable to cheer for the Lakers all the time, but Robert Ory hitting that, that game-winning shot against the, the Sacramento Kings is always one that sticks with me in that as well. Here are a uh, few nominations on the text line at 960-960. Um, there's a few of um, this, again, will be aimed at uh, Klein. Um, there's a few on this one. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks soiling themselves against the Boston Bruins. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. Boston beating the Canucks. What time is it? About five past Lou. Um, this, uh, hey, Pat, well, I do think envy is an ugly thing, and I cannot agree with you about feeling good that the Pats were not able to make history and be able to witness it. I can't be too upset with you because I felt the same way when the Canucks lost the Bruins the way they did. As a Flames fan, it was absolutely marvelous, and I will never hate the Bruins for that reason. Uh, there was a couple of um, nominations for the Oilers losing to the Hurricanes in the 06 Stanley mm. Cup final. Um, regionally, you can understand why that. Uh, this one, uh, Klein, I like this. When Lesnar turtled versus Overeem made me so happy. I remember that. <laughs> um, there's uh, this 2012 World Juniors held in Calgary. Sucked for Canada, but the gold medal game was an incredible one nothing Sweden win in overtime over Russia. How about this one? Bautista getting punched in the face. <laughs> not not Bautista's home run the year before. Nope. The following season getting clocked by Odor. Um, Rangers in 94-2. Suck it, Beret. <laughs> uh, recently, Team North America beating Sweden in overtime literally had me jumping up and down in my living room in the middle of the day. That's going back to the 16 World Cup of Hockey. Um, what else we got here at 960960? Here's a good one. Sharks versus Vegas game seven last year. Craziest game I've ever watched, I think. Even had my non-hockey friends involved in the live feed. That was pretty, that was pretty fun. Um, Red Sox, the first World Series for them in modern era when they beat out the Yankees. I, as much as I don't mm. like the Red Sox now, it was pretty cool to watch them come down, uh, come yep, back from that one. deficit against the Yankees and then eventually win the World, uh, World Series. Um, what else? There was a few of that. Uh, on the other side, for non-Red Sox fans, Aaron Boone's walk-off against the Sox. Um, that uh, that one stings. Um, I was in the rink in Helsinki when Finland won the World Juniors. Holy bleep. Um, Ooh, so there's a few more at 960-960 on uh, cool sporting memories that did not involve your favorite team. Uh, that was a good question. Uh, all three of I, I, I liked my question, but yours were way better, both uh, you and Logos. So uh, that was a good Wednesday-worthy edition of Wild Card Wednesday for another day. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay. Final thoughts um, before we get to Shai Davidi, who will join us in just a couple of seconds, uh, our Major League Baseball insider for Sportsnet. Um, Kleiner, just a, a thought. The NBA is knocking on the door to a return. Uh, they, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, uh, I would just uh, encourage you to go read the article on ESPN.com. I could explain it, but it's way easier to read it. Uh, but July 31st is their targeted date to return to play for 22 teams all in Orlando, including eight regular season games before the playoffs begin. Um, 
it continues to be other than baseball, which will will bring down the mood next segment. But for both teams, <laughs> or both leagues, trying to resume their seasons and hand out a championship. Things seem to be trending in positive directions for both the NHL and now the NBA very much in that same category with what they have uh, accomplished over the last couple of uh, couple of days. Yeah, with both the NBA and the NHL, there's been a lot of uh, cooperation between owners and players. So it's definitely it, it's definitely felt more when than if than w- with the situation in Major League Baseball. But I I like the format that we're going to see from both the NBA and the NHL. They're both a little bit different, but I think they both include all the teams that should be included in, in a race toward a championship. So um, I'm, I'm happy the NBA is coming back. There was a lot of storylines that were left unfinished with the, the Raptors having a really good bounce back after losing Kawhi Leonard um, as they defend their championship. Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers with the the Lakers as the the number one seed in the West. How do the Bucs do? There's a lot that still needed to be answered in the NBA, and I think this is going to do a pretty good job of answering that. Up next, our Major League Baseball insider, Shai Davidi, will try to help us wade through the muck. If the NHL and the NBA are on the right track, why can't Major League Baseball be in the same conversation? We'll find out next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary's only all-sports radio station. So many ways to listen. On your radios at 960 AM and online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Stream us through the Sportsnet and Radio Play. Player Canada mobile apps. Ask your smart speaker to play Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Breaking sports news when it happens. Boomer in the morning weekdays. Pinter and Steinberg weekday afternoons. Our fan feedback text line is 960-960. Text in your thoughts and hot takes direct to the guys. Keep it clean and keep it legal. Normal data rates may apply. Home for the Calgary Flames, Calgary Hitmen, Toronto Blue Jays, NFL, MLB, World Juniors, and more. We are... Sportsnet 960, the fans. News today that the NBA is on track to resume their season on July 31st or thereabouts. The NHL continues to plan for their restart. And caught in the ether and in a completely gray area right now is Major League Baseball as they try to start their season. Pessimism levels are high. The mistrust between the Players Association and the league seems high. And right now, it's it's hard to get a handle on where exactly we are on Major League Baseball's return to play. Welcome back to the program. Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you. And to uh, try to sort through the mud, we welcome in Major League Baseball insider Sportsnet's Shai Davidi joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Shai, appreciate you doing this as always. The whole thing is convoluted right now. And, and you know, you see prominent insiders coming out with news all the time. It's a little difficult to, to sort through, I think. Can you give us a, a little bit of a Reader's Digest on where things are right now with the uh, Players Association and the league? Well, we can simplify it as this. You know, the, both sides want to have a season. Both sides have made progress and have a rough understanding of what a protocol would roughly look like in terms of health needs. And basically, they're just fighting about money. You know, the the owners want the players to play for less. Uh, The players, understandably, want Major League Baseball to abide by the agreement that they reached at the end of March, which stipulated that players would receive uh, a prorated share of their 2020 salaries for each game that they played this year. Um, 
and the sides have gone back and forth. The players earlier this week uh, submitted a proposal for a 114-game season at their uh, full rated, uh, full prorated share uh, of what they would have earned, uh, and that is that differed from the owner's initial proposal of an 82-game season, uh, heavily discounted. And uh, you know, at this point, the the owners are are mulling about uh, implementing uh, a 50-game something around a 50-game season. Um, and uh, both sides are sort of stuck. And the way that I've described it to people is uh, essentially this is a roller coaster ride. Uh, just like any collective bargaining agreement negotiation, there's ups, there's, there's downs. Uh, and I think ultimately uh, logic will prevail and they'll, they'll reach a deal. But you know, right now uh, they've got some time to work with and each side seems intent on seeing if they can get the other to bend. The the reported pessimism level seems high, but yours doesn't seem as high as, as it's kind of suggested it is right now. You seem more optimistic that they can figure this out, and I'm, you know more than we do, so I, I, I'm just curious. How, why is that? Where, where does the optimism come from in your mind? It's funny. I don't necessarily think I'm op, I'm op, optimistic. Uh, and a lot of people I talk to, uh, in fact, I was just texting to someone who's deeply pessimistic, uh, but... I just look at this and I cannot see how either side ultimately lets this fall through the cracks. If you're an owner, are you really going to do this to your business at this point in time? Even if you have to take losses now, what are you doing to your franchise values? What are you doing to your earning power in the coming decade? If you blow up this season, given everything that's happening in society at large right now, uh, to extract and minimize some losses, I mean that's that's ridiculously short-term thinking. Uh, and on the player side, uh, you know I think there'll eventually be a recognition that they do have to bend a little bit, uh, just because you know these are wild circumstances, um, and you're not ultimately going to punt an entire season. Uh, in your career, in your very limited career, because mm-hmm. that's money you're never going to earn back, and it's going to cost you in, in the years to come as well. So uh, I think for those reasons that you can ultimately, that there's a middle ground to be found. And uh, what I've also found really interesting is that uh, each stop along the way, both sides have done a really, uh, a really nice negotiating job in terms of ensuring that there's no, uh, that there, there's, there's something for the other side to play it. They, they, they both, they haven't hemmed themselves in. They've left room for a middle ground. Uh, and to me, that's why I, I, I think that this is largely the roller coaster ride that comes with any sort of uh, labor ownership agreements. Um, when when we talk about the kind of the, the the word mistrust has been thrown around a lot when it comes to the union and the owners. This this goes back well beyond the start of the worldwide pandemic. Can you give us a little bit of a background on, as, as you put on Twitter a few days ago, kind of the, the tired labor story of Major League Baseball? Can you give us a background as to why the two sides seem to not have a lot of trust for one another right now? Well, I mean, I think this uh, that's the kind of question. is like, how far do you want to go back? I mean, historically, uh, the owners have, uh, in baseball, just as they have in other sports, completely exploited players and took advantage of their ignorance of uh, other salaries, uh, labor practices, uh, just revenues within the game, how much how much money owners were, quite, quite frankly, making off them. Uh, and that sort of changed with the advent of the players' union uh, and 
the owners have fought that players union at every step along the way. It's the one union that hasn't been broken by its sports league. It's the one union that has managed to avoid uh, a salary cap, which all the other sports leagues have, uh, have forced their players into. And, you know, the, that, that's sort of like the broader picture. And then more recently, you know, there had a, actually there was a period where the labor relationship between the sides was much better uh, between players and owners. Uh, you think about the way they work together throughout the steroid crisis, um, you know, that they, they really made a lot of progress there. But the last collective bargaining agreement, uh, owners, owners probably got the play, much better of the players in that one. Uh, a lot of players have since been felt that they've been getting screwed by clubs at every step and turn as, as clubs have become better at manipulating uh, collective bargaining agreements to minimize salaries. Uh, and that had set up this level of mistrust that currently exists right now. And why a lot of people expect the next collective bargaining agreement, to, uh, the current, current deal expires at the end of 21 season, uh, to be a, a very, very difficult fight. With Sportsnet's Shai Davidi, our Major League Baseball insider on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon, Pete. Uh, Shai, we've seen the NHL and the NBA kind of have a, a very kumbaya relationship and really it, it seems fairly effective in getting their seasons back up and running. Obviously, baseball a bit of a different situation because they have to start and to finish their season. But do you think with all the, the negative press that there could be some long-term damages to, to baseball's fan base because of this? Well, look, if they don't have a meaning, if they don't come back and have a meaningful season, there, there absolutely will be long, long-term damage. I, I think if you know they get back to play and they reach in the, you know, they reach an agreement, they, they do their usual, uh, they do the usual shtick, wait for a deadline, get to the deadline, and then and then save the season. I think people will by and large forget that once the games begin. But I think right now. To, to sit this out and to, to blow up a season over, over money at this point in time, uh, I mean, would be so obscenely tone deaf that, you know, both sides would deserve the, the revenue losses that will come in the years, to, in the, in the years ahead if, if that scenario plays out. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, baseball has been in a weird, a bit of a weird spot the past few years. You know, there's an acknowledgement within the game that they're they're not engaging the younger generation the way they need to be. They need to make some changes. They need to adapt uh, to to the way to to a new group of fans and a new generation that's experiencing the game in different ways. And if they don't make it back onto the field uh, amid a pandemic, uh, I mean, that would just be it would be so monumentally stupid. Uh, that I can't believe businessmen who are billionaires would allow it to happen. Uh, as far as the, the team that you cover is concerned, the Jays are in a, a unique spot playing in another country than everyone else. Uh, do you know if there have been many discussions about where the, the Blue Jays' main spot might be? Yeah, there have been a, a ton on them. And, you know, the, the way things are sitting right now, the, the most simple way to do uh, is that as long as the border, if the current border restrictions are in place, uh, you know, their home stadium will be Dunedin for this year in all likelihood. And if uh, something changes along the border, then 
then then certainly they'll be in a position to react and adapt to that. But uh, as things stand right now, you know, the, you can't bring players in, force them to quarantine for 14 days and have each team that's coming in be able to quarantine. Uh, and, you know, technically they wouldn't be even able to enter anyways. And with the current restrictions in place in Ontario, they wouldn't be able to, to gather in the numbers necessary at the, at the dome anyways. So, um, you know, as right now, the way things are situated, uh, the Blue Jays are going to need to play in all likelihood in Dunedin. Uh, but they are planning for all scenarios. And, you know, their preference, obviously, is to have some games at home in Toronto, even without fans. I just think uh, they believe it's important to have some sort of presence in the community, actual presence. Uh, but if that's not going to be possible, then, you know, they're going to be prepared for that scenario. With baseball, obviously, with, with the, some of the proposals that we've seen, they're going to do their best to, to limit travel as much as possible with uh, expanded division format and things of that nature. But uh, do you think that the hub city is just a complete non-starter? Because while they're limiting travel, it's still not none. And that seems like it'd be tricky to pull off right now. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, you know, I think the difference for the hub city, like, you know, you, NHL, NBA, you're talking about a couple months. Right. Essentially, you're, you just have to get a right. playoffs done, whereas you're, you're for baseball, it's a full season. And I think the, the fact that they're at the beginning, uh, it has been a complicating factor throughout this, because from a revenue standpoint, you know, none of the money has been made yet by either side. While, you know, in the NHL, you know, players have gotten a lot of their salary, NBA, a lot of the guys have gotten their salary. The teams have made a lot of the revenue. There's still a big uh, revenue pie out there with playoffs that uh, both sides are eager eager to access, but you know th- they've uh, you know they've got some money in the bank. Uh, baseball's got nothing in the bank essentially, uh, and for both uh, both the players have been, have received a, a limited stipend for a couple months. Uh, you know there there are some issues there that they they're going to have to figure out. You know they're uh, you know those payments that will cover the first two months of the season. We're into month three, uh, the, the and you know, the, the money's running out for everybody. So uh, they need a plan. They need to get that together quickly. Uh, and it's a bit more complicated for them. And the hub city was just not something that I think players were willing to entertain because of the amount of sacrifices they'd have to make. Uh, last one from me. Uh, and, and it's an actual real life baseball question. Kind of um, if the, the season does go back in, <laughs> well, I have one. Um, if the, uh, if the season does come back in an abbreviated form, does that mean Nate Pearson is a lock to make the roster now? Please say yes. Yeah. I mean, like if the Blue Jays want to get him meaningful innings, the major leagues are going to be the only place he's going to be able to get them. You know, the, I mean, there's talk of, uh, of, uh, some sort of shadow league where, you know, replace replacement players, triple a types uh, who could come up and fill the gaps in case of an injury, uh, would stay, uh, would stay ready, but you know that's not a place where you're going to burn Nate Pearson's innings. You know, at this point, you know the Blue Jays w- wanted to get him into the you know 130, 140, maybe 150 inning range uh, as they continue to build him up. And the only place that's going to happen is in the big leagues. So uh, he absolutely, uh, at this point, breaks camp with the team. You know how they use him. Uh, is is uncertain. I, I had one person suggest to me that the club could go with a, a six-man rotation out of the gate, with Nate Pearson being part of it. Uh, you know, maybe that he's piggybacked with some with an, with another starter who they're trying to watch innings with. Uh, there are just a number of scenarios that are in play. Uh, but 
you know, at this point, uh, barring an injury or barring some type of surprise, you know, Nate Pearson has to be on this team when the club, when the club breaks camp. Chatting with Shine Avidi here on Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pat? Uh, our Major League Baseball insider from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. And, and Shy, just two quick ones before we let you go. Number one, uh, that's on draft prep for a very unique Major League Baseball draft. Can you give us a, a little bit of an update as to where the Jays are as they get set for a five-round 2020 draft? Yeah, super weird draft for them. A uh, number of reasons. Uh, you know, obviously the shortened draft is a factor. Uh, the not having a spring season to scout is a factor. Uh, there were a number of uh, restrictions early, early on during the pandemic that impacted things. But uh, you know, the Blue Jays have the number five pick, and you know they're in a leveraged spot in the draft. They've got a big opportunity uh, ahead of them. And, you know, they're looking at uh, a handful of college arms and there's uh, one high school outfielder uh, that they're consistently tied to uh, named, uh, named Zach Veen. The guy's got a chance to play center field and be a, a toolsy type of player. Uh, but he's a, he's a high schooler as opposed to a, a collegian. They carry more risk. And this is an interesting draft for the Blue Jays uh, beyond some of the, the external factors because uh, it's also going to be their first draft under a new scouting director in Shane Farrell. Their old scouting director, uh, Steve Sanders, went to the Pittsburgh Pirates as uh, their assistant general manager there. And, uh, you know, this is uh, whether he moves the club in, whether Shane Farrell moves the club in another direction or he maintains sort of their approach we've seen in the past few years. Uh, that that's a bit of an unknown right now. So uh, a lot of intrigue for the Blue Jays in this draft and, uh, and absolutely a pivotal one because if everything goes to plan, uh, the way that the organization sees it, the way that their young players are trending, uh, this should be the last time for a, a long while that they're drafting this high. And finally, the one of the kind of underlying stories throughout all of this has been the the fate of minor league players in different organizations you've done some reporting on that and and uh where the blue jays stand with their uh some of their minor league players under contract can you update us there sure uh well the, there had been an agreement for for teams they were all going to offer uh or give their minor league players a 400 dollar a, a week stipend through May 31st, and obviously that expired over the weekend. Uh, and uh, some teams uh, committed to, to pay their players throughout the rest of the season. Uh, Oakland A's notably told their players that that was it. They, uh, they weren't committing any more uh, money to them or offering their, those players any more support. Uh, the Blue Jays were among the handful of teams to extend the support through July with uh, with a promise that they'll, the next steps would be reassessed at month's end. Uh, tied into that, uh, player, a number of players were released around the big leagues, uh, which is not atypical for this time of year, just ahead of the draft, as you know, some, some guys who were just not going to be a part of the future are cleared out to make way for incoming players uh, arriving via the draft, uh, and the Blue Jays released 29 of those players as well. Okay. Thank you, Shy. Appreciate the time this afternoon. Know you got a roll, but thank you for the insight. We'll talk again soon. Anytime, guys. My pleasure, and hopefully happier discussions the next time uh, we're on together. 100%. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Shy. Take care.
That's Shai Davidi, Sportsnet's Major League Baseball insider on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Working hard to reopen soon for sit-down drinks and dining. Atlas Pizza still open for pickup or delivery by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. That'll do it for the program today. Uh, be, uh, be tuned in. Coming up around the corner in conversation today has Calgary Flames General Manager Brad Living along with Maple Leafs GM Kyle Dubas. That's coming up next with Ron McLean at 6 o'clock Tim and Sid for your Wednesday evening. For Logan Gordon and Peter Klein, my name is Pat Steinberg. Our chats with Jeff Snyder and Shai Davidi both up at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.